Welcome to SkyCast episode 39, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 6, episode 10, Matryoshka. Hell yeah, we will. Ooh, <laughs> sorry we're so late, guys. Uh, I was at Comic-Con and uh, I've been sleeping for about three days straight. Did you uh, do or see anything cool at Comic-Con? I, <laughs> I just prompted you. <laughs> What? Oh, I guys. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything about the hundred. We're not talking about the hundred. I met Lynn Manuel Miranda at Comic Con. Uh, we hosted this like live um, show for the Adventure Zone guys, and he came and was a special guest star. So I got to meet him and take a picture with him and. Maybe we'll post that on the Skycast <laughs> Twitter <laughs> so you can see my face. It's <laughs> beaming. <laughs> Never been more excited in my life, except to talk about this episode. Oh, yeah. I'm sure this is uh, this right is up there. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, speaking of, how did we feel about this episode? How do I feel? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of emotion. I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, I missed Clark. I'm so, so glad she's back. Um, the Bellark stuff. I'm going to have a hard time talking about it because it was so emotional and intense. You guys, I cried a lot. You did. That was, I just broke down after the, I had like a breakdown after the episode. I just sat here crying for like 15 minutes. It was hard for me to pinpoint how I felt about this episode outside of the Bellark stuff. Yeah. I liked this episode a lot. Yeah. Like the, the other stuff. Um, you know, at Sanctum, um, and even like when Clark and Josephine are interacting, mm -hmm. like that's interesting. That was great. Yeah. But the Bellark stuff just kind of like eclipsed it. So Absolutely. it's like hard for me to, to properly rate it in my mind. I agree. It's really hard for me to like logically assess because I think it's all a in, in all, it's a very well produced and executed episode, mm -hmm. but the emotional threshold that they reached with the Bellark emotional climax, um, is like shattering to me like it shattered me yeah and so I have a hard time talking about this without it just like being overcome by my emotional journey in this episode so we're gonna try and talk about this um as yeah. best we can you know I think you said yesterday that this uh bell arc scene felt like the emotional climax of the whole season yes yes it does and I feel you know and I could be proven wrong it wouldn't be the first time on this show but I feel like this was the emotional climax of the season right is like the meeting of them and the reunion of Bellark and the evolution of their relationship sort of demonstrated in the end of this episode feels like everything that I've wanted yeah for a very long time and so I'm not sure like how much momentum going forward I or how much impact the rest of the season is going to have on me as for like as living up to that yeah it felt it feels kind of like um the the next three episodes are just going to be like the fallout of them basically removing josephine from clark's mind and then having clark be back yeah um so it's just them like trying to pick up the pieces and like not let all of their people get killed <laughs> or yeah. burned at the stake i mean i think it's going to be a lot of plot yeah. And like, while I love the 100 plot, like I'm always here for the characters and their emotional journey. And so I feel like we have achieved emotional plateau as much as we're going to get this season with Bellark. Yeah. Um, and so the rest of the season is just going to be running the clock out. But I am very excited to find out more about the anomaly, which it sounds like we will in the last episode of the season. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that like the last shot is Dioza walking out with like a fully grown hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, a child hope. No, I'm, I'm cool. If she's fully grown, too. 
I'm cool if like Dioza's like had the chance. She's been a mother. She's done her thing. And then Hope can be like a real person. I want Hope to be a young child a la Maddie. So Maddie has a friend. Maybe. Yeah. I I want that for her. I think there's a lot of kids on, you know, in Sanctum now. Maddie needs friends. (laughs) Maddie needs like friends who are also like children. Abnormal. Oh, well. Yeah. I don't know. We shall see. Um, so first of all, before we get into the recap, we have so many people to thank this week. Um, I am overwhelmed by how much love we got in the past couple of weeks. Uh, first, I want to give a shout out to um, Becca86, honestly, like 10 more numbers that I'm not going to repeat, and Melinda M for leaving us such lovely reviews on iTunes. Thank you guys so much. Also, a shout out to Rhonda Agnew 51 for your comments on Podbean. I love when people reach out to us on that platform. Also, special shout out to, and I'm sorry if I'm going to do all of these wrong, at Soft Hug and at Tetsu underscore girl for your sweet thoughts on Twitter. And also to everyone else who was concerned as to why we were so late podcasting this week's episode. I just want to say thank you to all of you for your thoughts and well wishes and concerns. Uh, McCabe and we, I are we feeling are alive. very popular. We're alive. <laughs> Bellark didn't kill us. It was close, but we got some CPR and we were brought back from the dead. So if Bob gave me CPR, <laughs> it would kill me. So thank God that I didn't get CPR. <laughs> that would have just put me under. <laughs> but again, thank you guys to all of your amazing tweets and your comments and your reviews, which is all to say that the reviews and ratings that you guys leave us, they really do work. So please go take this moment to go rate and review us on iTunes. As you know, it helps other fans of The 100 find us. So go do that really quick. And thank you. Thank you again. We love you. Yes, we do. Um, okay, let's jump into the recap. Let's do it. Clark, riding the motorcycle toward Gabriel's place, ends up crashing the bike and breaking the radio. Rather than potentially being found by the children of Gabriel, Josephine leads Clark to an old observation blind where they hide. Suddenly, Clark starts seizing, and Josephine worries that if Clark dies, this observation blind will become a tomb for the both of them. Um, So first off, you know, at the end of last episode, we saw that Clark has borrowed Josephine's driving talent so she could ride the motorcycle through the woods. Yeah. Um, But she clearly doesn't borrow it well. (laughs) Well, to be fair to her, in all fairness, like it would be very annoying to have Josephine talking at you and distracting you while you're trying to escape and also are like kind of seizing and your brain is like fritzing out at the same time. Um, especially if that person is Josephine, because like her number one talent is to be obnoxious. It's true. So it's true. I like Clark's got a lot to deal with while she's <laughs> riding this bike, and she's like not in the best health <laughs> in the moment. So, just want to be in- fair to Clark. I mean, I'm always open for giving Clark the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I mean, she's the best. <laughs> um. I also wanted to call out, you know, like we saw last episode, Josephine's desperation is really coming through in this scene. I mean, she's she's like at her on her last limb here. She's bargaining, bargaining away things that she would have never even considered doing before. And whether she means it or not, she does not. mean um, it. I think before she wouldn't have even bothered to do this. But I, she's like really trying to manipulate Clark. And it's very obvious. 
I'm not sure I agree. I I think that she would always use whatever, you know, trick she has up her sleeve. And I mean, like her being like, Clark, if we go back, I will give you your body. Like, no one believes you. Nobody believes you. You don't believe you. So (laughs) Uh, I guess that's true. I don't know. It felt like she was trying to be manipulative, but it wasn't working because she's so desperate. Like, I feel like before she she had she was she's like not as uh good at it as she has been like there's not as much finesse yeah or subtlety um and she's just being very blatant and obvious about it and that's because she's desperate um also love this lost reference they find themselves a hatch yes in quotation marks uh it's such an obvious reference to the abc show lost um and i just love that what that this show is paying an homage repeatedly to it this season it just helps bind these two shows together they have a lot of things in common sure i i will say that the hatch and lost is much more interesting than the hatch here well yes this this is just kind of like oh it's like a hole in the ground okay it's a hole <laughs> in the ground that they made out Great. in a lot <laughs> um but how many of these secret observation blinds do you think are hiding out there and do you think we're going to be able to like see more later maybe we'll find one with like something actually interesting in it you know maybe i mean yes i definitely think that's a possibility Mm -hmm. i mean i feel like they did a lot of weird experimentation um that we can explore in future episodes next season i I think the weird shit they did in sanctum we haven't even scratched the surface of Mm -hmm. uh because we got distracted with the body snatching this season um so yeah for sure and i feel like they have must have at least like 10 of them right oh for sure yeah i just don't know if it's going to like play any role later on or if they really don't matter at all and if this was just kind of like a deus ex machina like oh we need somewhere to hide well let's just throw a hole in the ground and let them go in there well it just doesn't exactly feel like a deus ex machina because they've mentioned them before um they 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 said before that they have these like labs that they had created all over um the the moon for observation and laboratory experiments and all these things well they've said labs they have labs that they've created we've never heard about the observation blinds before specifically specifically right but that this is doesn't seem like that far of a stretch from a lab like it seems like they've really built this whole network and structure of experimentation and laboratories and stuff so this this isn't like it came out of absolutely nowhere um but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I think I think they could be interesting later on. I don't know. Um, speaking of these blinds, they Josephine explains that they use them to study animals and their natural habitat. But like the way she said it, I can't help think that this also like cultivated Josephine's ability to like also keenly observe humans. Like the way she says it, it's just like yes, we're studying animals. But like we know Josephine also is like a studier of human behavior and psychology as well. And that's why she's so good at manipulating people. Yeah. I don't know who she'd be observing out here. Like it's pretty far out unless, you know, but I don't think the children of Gabriel existed when these blinds were built. So it's kind of like, you know, what would she have been doing if it wasn't just animals? I don't mean that she was like observing humans. I mean like the skills that you develop studying other creatures and other animals is something that she would have taken with her and like is like highly honed yeah I mean I think she's actually she honed the skill to you know look at people and to observe people way before she did animals Um, I think animals came more of like when she was getting older and needed a job and you know then she kind of followed some sort of taxonomist route um, Mm -hmm. in college 
Um, but I think her natural ability is, you know, to be able to look at human behaviors. And since she herself feels a little bit more removed from common human behaviors, I think she's able to see them a little bit more clearly yeah. maybe than others. Even yeah. if, you know, I'm, that sounds like a good thing, but she uses it in a bad way. Sure. Sure. It's our choices. It is our choices. <laughs> Every episode, guys. I can't help it. Um, Josephine does say that Gabriel doesn't literally want to kill her, which, I mean, I think we all kind of would agree that, that is true. Yeah. Um, but last episode, she told Bellamy that he did want to kill her. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to, like, figure out what Josephine thinks Gabriel's doing and what Josephine thinks Gabriel's, like, ultimate purpose is. Yeah. I mean, we, I think we should talk about the like Josephine and Gabriel of it all in later bits because I feel like there's a little bit of retconning happening here in everything that they have demonstrated this season versus what these two characters how they talk about each other Mm -hmm. I don't quite understand I feel like there's like a little bit of a disconnect um between these two people who seem I mean I don't want to I mean love and hate can coexist just fine that's not what I'm talking about I just feel like they haven't shown us I think they've told us that they love each other but they haven't shown it to us so yeah it does feel a little forced at times yeah it's much more of a tell not show situation and so because of that I'm having a hard time deciphering either of their you know true feelings because I don't really get it does that make sense yeah I mean I'm, I'm I think in this specific instance I was talking more about like Josephine is saying that Gabriel wants to kill her, but then she's like, but he doesn't literally want to kill me. I I, I just don't understand what Josephine thinks Gabriel is out there doing. Well, yeah, I know. But I feel like if I had a better understanding of what their relationship is like, then I would also know the answer to that question, too. Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm more curious about, like, the children of Gabriel. And since they're only about 70 years old and Josephine's kind of seen them growing throughout that time I mean they could have only really been at their prime for the last like what 40 years yeah because at the beginning it was basic (laughs) but um it was basically um the babies that were being sacrificed is Mm -hmm. the way I understand it um who were like brought out to Gabriel and he raised them and now they're just kind of whoever they are uh you know they're all adults now but um I, I I don't know I just I I'm really curious about the ways that Josephine has interacted with the children of Gabriel in the past if any um and if not like what she thinks they're doing and what have they been doing it's been 70 years what have they been doing and we learn they've killed exactly zero Zero primes primes. yeah so yeah that's a great question I don't know what their like mandate is with their mission statements because <laughs> they seem to think it's about killing primes but they haven't killed any so I'm i mean confused. to be fair they did kill well no they didn't actually kill those primes earlier this season they did not they took the mind chips though briefly i they get those mind chips back again they took their heads remember they chopped their heads no, off? no 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 i know but uh, how did um the sanctum people get the mind chips back again uh, it's been no, a long season. With Dioza? I don't know. We'll maybe, yeah. Maybe it was Dioza. Guys, if you can remember what happened at the beginning of the season, can you let us know? <laughs> We're not like podcasters or anything. It's not like we should have this information. Hey, this is why we have a community. Yeah. <laughs> we rely on you guys so much. 
Um, so to clarify, though, are you not even able to take a nap outside on the ground without those vines eating you? <laughs> yeah, the devil's snare acts really fast. <laughs> it's hungry. Okay? I, I mean, like... It wants a snack. So do the children of Gabriel have to build like special beds so the vines can't get them? Or Maybe they only grow in certain areas of the moon and they found a spot that they don't like. Or maybe they put pesticides up. I'm not <laughs> sure. Like, who knows? I mean, I, I'm just, I'm really curious about the trees and how they sense food, you know? Yeah. Because... As soon as a person like lays on that ground, they're like yum, you know, and they just well, like attack. Well, maybe they have beds, and since they're not like directly on the ground, they don't. The ground sense can't them. sense it. Yeah, maybe I don't like, know. Like maybe they have like a cot, but like yeah, no, you don't lie down and take a nap anywhere. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Nummy. <laughs> um. Also, real quickly, just wanted to call out: we get a new title um card at the end of this scene. It's this, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. Go back and look. Um, and I just love all the new visuals we're getting. Wasn't it like outside the fields? Yeah. It was, it was like, like outside Sanctum. It was like, like at the um, the perimeter. Yeah, no, the, I know what it looks like. Fence. I just don't know how to describe it. No, that's what I'm describing. It's it's the, a view of like the edge of the fields with like the perimeter of the, the fence going around. Yes, sure. Um, I was going to say, I just love all the new title sequences and title cards we're getting it's very cool my favorite is still the anomaly one yeah that's the coolest one for sure moving on when raven and abby get back to sanctum with simone russell has them locked up with the rest of sky crew but not before simone tells abby that clark is dead russell fills in simone on what's been happening inside sanctum since she's been gone and simone wants to burn all of sky crew at the stake rather than risking them telling the people of sanctum the truth about the mind drives russell doesn't want to sink to sky crew's level so simone says they can just burn one of them this is a real treat <laughs> um oh simone woof <laughs> <laughs> She's really at her prime this episode. <laughs> just going to keep using that joke. Yes, we are. It just dies. The rest <laughs> of the season. Um, so first off, did Simone tell Abby about Clark being dead just to hurt her? Because Russell does come up and he's like, that was mean. But I don't know. It wasn't like Abby wouldn't find out immediately. Did Simone just like want to be the one to like dig that knife in? Yeah. And even so, like Abby wasn't the one who killed Kane. Kane floated himself, you know? Abby was the one who tried to help them. Yeah, it just felt oddly malevolent. Like a level of uh, like sadism that didn't quite jive with everything that we've seen so far. I mean, like not that I don't think Simone is capable of that. I just oh, yeah. don't see what warranted that reaction. Well, Simone seems more like practically or practically evil you know what I mean like yeah. she's she's really not a good person but like she knows it and she doesn't go out of her way to be mean but she just does it for practical reasons sure she's I'm she's not a sadist yeah and this felt sadistic so that doesn't seem to like fully jive for me I guess it was I, I mean I think it was supposed to be just as a punishment for Abby but it just doesn't quite fit with what happened last episode for me same so um, it was, though, nice to see Raven looking a little shocked and upset about the Clark reveal. Yeah. Just, you know, they've had a rough season, and I have a lot of thoughts with how Raven's been written, um, but this is a really good episode for her, and, you know, I'm hoping maybe she's back on track now, um, and I can't wait to, like, see her and Clark reunite. Same. I'm really looking forward to that, especially since she thinks she's dead, and I can't wait to see the 
the relief when she discovers that she's actually, in fact, alive. Well, I don't think that she thinks she's dead necessarily. They all know that Bellamy took Josephine and they have, like, the opportunity to bring Clark back. And, like, if anyone could bring Clark back, it's Bellamy, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Didn't think about that. But there's still the threat. They don't know for sure. Sure. Um, Simone... It's clear in this scene that she fully blames Russell for everything that has gone wrong since Sky <laughs> Crew showed up. I mean, she is pissed. Um, and I think it's obvious that she sees him as the weak link. You know, like, I think she sees that he has strength in certain areas, but in being like a tough hard on crime leader <laughs> that is not one of them yeah yeah she's not wrong I think Russell is really good with the people and he's good at like getting people to follow him yeah I think he's a good politician yes he is she's not no but she is in a lot of ways much smarter than him much more practical than yeah. him and like I mean she's she's not wrong everything that's happened up to this point is it's because of fault. Russell. Yeah. Um, I don't agree that it's because he let Sky Crew in. I think it's because he killed Clark or thought he killed Absolutely. Clark. Absolutely. But, you know, <laughs> we each have our own thoughts about things. <laughs> I mean, there's like a level of denial here that clearly nobody wants to talk about. But yeah, I, you know, she's she's not wrong. It's, it is his fault. Um, I also want to talk about all the references to the Salem witch trials in this episode. It's everywhere. Um... Simone says that she needs to make an example of them and her idea of making an example of them is literally burning them at the stake um which is just you know this is so in line with the moments of religious zealotry we've seen throughout history played out played out over and over again and I think it's a really clear call out in connection to that kind of bigotry and like mob mentality you know that we'll see later in this episode I have so much to say here first off what? 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 Why are we burning people at the stake? Where did this come from? I think it should be noted. McCabe has a really big problem with burning people. I have been traumatized ever since watching The Last Mohican as a child. But no, it's like my... I mean, I don't want to use the word trigger because it's not a real trigger. I think it is. But I was with you when we were watching this and it was... I do not she enjoy was, it. She was not well. <laughs> uh, but like, seriously, we're like in this society. It seems so together. I mean, they're all kind of nuts, but like it seems they are body snatchers. No, but I, I mean, like it doesn't seem like the kind of place that just like burns people at the stake. <laughs> I totally disagree. I feel like there is a lot of um, religious or even just like I think everything about this society is like based on you know the the whims of their leaders um and I I think that they live in a society of extremes and so taking it to burning people just seems like not that far of a leap for I, me. I don't know. I mean, these people are from the 21st century. They're from, like, what, 20, 30 years ahead of where we are right now. Sure. Um, I just don't believe that those are the kinds of people, especially the fact that, you know, they seem to be from American or at least, like, have a good understanding of the English language, you know? Yeah. Um, they, they, and I don't see these people as being, like, 
oh, we had to execute people. Let's immediately burn them at the stake. Like I see them like, oh, let's like shoot them or we can use lethal injections or because they do that, you know, with other purposes. But I feel like that is a mentality that would have started, but then would have been over time corrupted. These people are insane and they really believe that they're gods. I don't think that somebody who thinks of themselves as an immortal being has the same like concept of humanity that they started with. It's not even that though. It's just like for your own mental peace, is that how you want to execute people? I mean, That's such a like violent, they loud, do not horrible way. They do not view the gnolls as people. They do not look at them with the same kind of sensitivity that we would look at someone who's being executed. I disagree. I think they view the gnolls as people. I just don't think they view themselves as people anymore. Well, but by people, I mean individuals worthy of being consider and like I, having consideration for I also don't think that I think Josie Josephine is the one who was really really sociopathic in that sense like I don't even think you know someone like Simone feels quite the same way I mean maybe I'm wrong because she's clearly very torch happy here but she's uh, real torch happy I I think that like honestly I just think you're giving him too much credit I this was not this did not seem like a stretch for me I, this was not hard for me to swallow. This felt very in line with everything we've seen and the extreme behaviors and lack of empathy they have for other people who are not prime. Like, it just seemed very in line for I me. I think we have to agree to disagree because I don't think this lines up with someone from, you know, the 21st century. Especially, like, what seemed like, you know, together countries that they all came from because they had to be, you know, rich enough to build ships to get there and lend people to get there and I just I don't know I just this does not this does not seem like a right fit um and I don't really get it and I think it kind of came out of nowhere well I it felt like the hundred wanted to make something really shocking so they're like let's burn people at the stake (laughs) yeah I mean I definitely see the dramatic value here and why they thought you know this is going to be really dramatic um but I but I also I felt Okay, I actually wait. think that hanging would make a lot more sense, especially because um, we've had those like religious zealotry things and the discussion about the crucible. And that's kind of, I mean, like we, the, the like stereotype is you burn witches, but really they hung witches. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say yeah. actually is like, it's, it's a misnomer because the Salem witch trials actually either drowned people or hung them. Yeah. There was no burning. The burning all happened in medieval Europe, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'll let it go. I just didn't love it. Was it my favorite part of the episode? I mean, episode? was it my favorite part of the episode? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I, I don't have an issue. I don't take issue with it in the okay. way that you did. Um, I I just can't get over to Russell still being like, if we do this, Simone, we're just as bad as they are. Like, dude, how many times are you going to say that? How many times are you going to do something, but then not want to do the next thing and say it again and then do it anyway, and then not want to do the next thing and say it again? Like, well, dude, I mean, I, you are just as bad as they are. You yeah. are burning people at the stake. He's a hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, we've been saying that all season. He is in denial about his own malevolence like sweetie you are there (laughs) you're way past that you You, are so far past that line you can't even see the line like 
it's bad. And so, you know, he just doesn't, he has no ability to self-reflect. He's the most, the least self-aware person possibly on this show right now. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, so glad that Simone has her priorities in order. I mean, of course they're not going to burn Maddie because, duh, she's a Nightblood host. I know. Not I love- a child. A Nightblood host. <laughs> I loved how Simone brushed off. She's like, of course not Maddie. She's a host. <laughs> it's not the fact that she's a child that makes her, like, not fit to burn. It's the fact that she's a host. It was, like, Priya last episode or two episodes ago when she was like, you killed Clark? And didn't tell us? And right. skipped the line? Yeah, you skipped the line? <laughs> Never mind the murder. Who gives a yeah. shit about that? But you skipped the line. These people are insane. Yeah. Again, I say. I mean, yes. They burn people. They are insane. Um, I also, you know what I love to see? I love to see a couple, <laughs> a beautiful couple, compromise and come together and find a way to make it work. Warms my heart. So instead of burning all of them, they'll just burn the one. That's so much better. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Numbers wise, it is better. I I was just like, oh my god, is this what your marriage looks like? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I think their marriage actually weirdly works really well. Yeah, like they, they are complement each other very well. Sure, sure. But like that was just so funny. I know. Like, these are not normal marital problems. Like <laughs> you have to figure out how many people you're gonna burn today. Well, I guess these are the problems of the gods. <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> I, I really do. I mean, like, serious question. What do Rose, uh, Russell, <laughs> Russell, Russell, uh, Russell and Simone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds like the song. <laughs> Apples and bananas. <laughs> Apples and bananas. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> what do Russell and Simone consider the dream of Sanctum? Like, this is they, such a good question. They were, like, Russ, or Simone was like, the dream of Sanctum is dead. But it's like, what? Is it you? You really think that you're like saving humanity? Like they didn't know when they started Sanctum that Earth was gone. They didn't know until Clark's people got here. They just weren't able to like radio back. Sure. I mean, well, I think the answer to this question, in all seriousness, is episode one of this season. Like when you show up and you see them on the surface glance, living in complete harmony. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like you have the like hierarchy of the royalty above and then everyone working harmoniously below them. All the like, little mini drones, they practice Tai Chi together. They harvest jujube drugs at night. They have two beautiful moons. They've got these gorgeous suns. They've got, you know, wonderful, happy go lucky lives. That, I think, is the dream. The problem is, is that that's, that's a lie. Yeah. You know, and Russell and Simone, like we've been saying repeatedly, they just live in a constant state of denial. They, that was a dream for them because they were reaping all the benefits. Yeah. Um, and they are not able to understand the horrors that this is actually a nightmare. This is a nightmare situation because they're living their dream. Um, I just think it's absurd it's absurd is what it is I mean it is and I think that we will very very quickly see the dissolution of sanctum as it is right now so yeah people are gonna get pissed (laughs) in the workshop Riker is telling a few members of sanctum the truth that the primes are not gods Echo and Gaia watch hidden from above the people are devastated especially Ty who lost his wife and newborn son to the offering grove After they leave, Riker tells Echo and Gaia that one of their people are going to be executed that night. And at this, Echo decides to assassinate Russell during the execution. 
First and foremost, I love Echo. She is in charge and is such a boss. And I love when she is allowed to be in scenes by herself without Bellamy and like watching her take charge and initiative. And it's great. Yeah, I mean, I like watching Echo make her own decisions, and I don't think they're the decisions that Clark or um, Bellamy would make necessarily, especially not now. Um, But I also don't think that Echo has that same drive to do better. Um, I I, I don't think that Echo sees what they've done in the past as necessarily the wrong choices, nor, you know, for a lot of it do I. Um, It was kind of like what had to be done to survive, um, I think Clark and Bellamy now are just, and especially Clark really is, is very, very dedicated to moving forward and like making the kinds of choices that allow you to live with yourself, mm-hmm. um, instead of, you know, just survive because those are two different things as we've very much seen. Um, but Echo, Echo's still kind of a wild card in a good way. I, I, I like that she's still a little harder than the others. Well, I don't know if it's harder. Sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. Um, But I do, I think it's really interesting because I think for Clark and Bellamy, they have had people to protect and love and to do and to make compromising choices for their entire lives. They've been very rich in love. Um, Echo, on the other hand, hasn't had a family, hasn't had people to love and protect until very recently within the last five years and if that were so and for someone who just got that sense of family and structure back in their life they do not I would not expect them to be so you know so quick to let it go it makes a lot of sense to me that she's still in her like protective mode um and to do anything at all costs to protect her family than it is for Clark and Bellamy who have had to work through these kinds of moral questions of it for themselves you know over a a lifetime yeah true um I will say I think you can juxtapose the way Echo handles things versus the way Amori's been handling things true um I mean like they're very different people um but Echo is still very much in the like these are my people and I will do whatever it takes including sacrificing everyone else outside of them to save these people yeah whereas I think Amori I, I wouldn't necessarily say Amori is like striving to do better now, but I do think Amori takes into account more of how her family feels about things um, and uses those feelings to kind of inform where she goes from that point. Yeah, I think um, that's true. And I think because I think Amori, but that, that also, again, speaks to the ways that they were treated as children, right? Amori was an outcast. She was exiled. And so she's constantly looking for acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so the way that other people think about her and view her is really important to her in a way that is not important to Echo. Echo wasn't. She was stolen. She was kidnapped. Yeah. Those are different things, though. And so it makes sense to me that Echo is very firm and strong in her independence um, and her independent thinking. And that's why she's less concerned with the way that other people think about her. And her number one driving force is still to protect the people she loves because she just got them. This is all to say that I love Echo and I, mean, I also yes. love Amori. <laughs> but Echo is just, again, such a Slytherin in like the best way. And I really appreciate it. Yep. I think the show needs that. Yep. So um, moving on from Echo, because got a lot to talk about. Where the hell has Gaia been? Don't know. Has she just been like lurking around? I think she has. I, I think so. 
And and like more to the point, like where did the rest of Sky Crew think she was? Did they think that she like just disappeared into the forest? And also like, are like you a wood okay? nymph? Are you okay with that? Like well, just I because mean, that's my second because thing. she got banished by a twelve year old. You're yeah. like, yep, that sounds right. I'm fine with her just fending for herself in the woods. These like man eating trees. <laughs> it's fine. It's very I, sticky. I don't get it. <laughs> I really would like Gaia to have more of a role, and maybe she will kind of now moving forward this season um, since Maddie is possessed and Gaia is needed. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just think that Gaia deserves more of like a, a storyline for herself. Yeah, you know? she feels very underutilized this season, and it's felt that way for many seasons. I just keep waiting season after season for them to like do something with her. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Um. I'm actually surprised, too, that the people of Sanctum believed Riker so quickly. Um, it Like, I could have seen, and maybe we'll see something like this moving forward, too, but I could have seen them, like, thinking this was a test from their gods, you know? Um, but they really did seem to, like, get it pretty quickly. And now these are people, specifically, who've been through, like, a lot of trauma from the... Have sacrificed. I mean, so like the, they, much, they sacrificed yeah. all of them. Sacrificed their children, um, and then Ty also lost his wife out of guilt because of what they did. So maybe that kind of lends them to be more to more easily believe it. But I think it could have also gone the other way that they've done such horrible things for their yeah, gods that, that their they would denial just, would, yeah would force them to not be able to reconcile. I agree. I also was kind of surprised, but I think that's just the by necessity of the pacing of this show. Yeah, that they just did not have the time. That's true. Um, and I'm willing to let that slide. Because honestly, I'm not super interested in watching them trying to con- reconvert people <laughs> or indoctrinate them from their brainwashing. I'm like not super into that. So I'm I feel fine like with Jaha it. would have been good at that. God, <laughs> I you know who I don't miss Jaha. <laughs> Um, so apparently they did film a scene in uh, episode 607, Nevermind, where Ty and his wife sacrificed their baby because their baby was apparently the baby that we see on the ground um, when Josephine kills Isaac. Mm. So they'd actually filmed that as like one of the scenes we'd see from Josephine, but they had to cut it, um, which is fine because I didn't really need it. Although we actually see it later in this episode. We do. Yeah. Um, we do. But it's not quite the same. No, no. It's just a teeny little flash when they're going through all Josephine's memories. But but I, I was really curious back in episode seven, like, was it just Josephine stealing the children away in the night or, you know, like how, how did the children come to be there? That is a terrifying thought. Um, yeah, it's very tangled. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. <laughs> tangled. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Who did we tweet at? Someone, somebody asked if, if they said it was hard to differentiate between us, which makes sense because we sound exactly the same after living together for like five plus years. <laughs> um, but you had mentioned you were like if there's a bad pun it's me and that is very true (laughs) (laughs) hey you called out a pun earlier i mean i made it but again if you made if the pun was made it was by mccabe um i don't remember what we were talking (laughs) we're talking about dead babies yeah so we can stop talking about dead babies now uh no we can't because actually i have a question when did josephine start oblation do you think it was before or after gabriel left because i'm wondering if it was like his good influence on her like once he was gone she kind of went a little crazier than usual doesn't he mention that later in this episode not specifically he says i didn't know she would take it that far and i thought he was specifically referencing oblation oh maybe that happens later this episode i must have missed that which is pretty wild because i don't usually miss things but um 
do we think then before that they were just kind of like hustling along? Yeah, like, I think they were hustling along because he says. And when did he? I, I, I don't know. I just really want to get the story about like what was the inciting event that made him leave? Because like if he'd been living this life for what, like 150 ish years. Yeah. Like that's a long time to live the same life and to suddenly be like, I'm going to go off on a walkabout through the forest. I'm going to go on a journey. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> know what I mean? a journey of self-reflection. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. Um, so let's talk about Riker a little bit. I am disappointed. <laughs> um, I also think it's crazy that he thinks that they can revolutionize sanctum, quote unquote, peacefully. I mean, that's delusional. The definition. Yeah. What? Well, I, yeah, I mean, yes, I agree. I think it's I, I don't know if I'd say delusional, but I'd say definitely naive. It's naive. I mean, the definition of a revolution like inherently implies violence. Like you cannot revolutionize something without abrupt change. Um, and I, again, bringing it back to Echo, I mean, like, she knows this. She's seen this many, many times, living with Queen Naya, and, like, calls him out on it immediately. She's like, that's cute, Riker. Yeah. You sweet summer child. I, you know, I sympathize with Riker in a lot of ways. I'm inherently disappointed with him this season because I expected more of, of an interesting storyline from his, you know, point. Mm-hmm. But... I do sympathize with the idea that, like, he doesn't necessarily like what's happened, but he also doesn't want, you know, to hurt his family, and he doesn't want the prime or the the Knowles to get hurt, and so he's like trying his best to like orchestrate things um, as smoothly as possible. It's very naive. I mean, it's also inc- it's also fuzzier than that, though, because we learn in this scene that Riker's not doing this like from the good of his own heart. Like, this is not a conscious or moral choice for him. This is blackmail. Echo is is blackmailing him with the information that he helped Gabriel escape and threatens to reveal it to Russell in order to motivate him to do this. So even his motives in this scene are not pure and that like extra complicates. Like I see what you're saying and I also sympathize with him to some degree, but I, but I not as much as I wanted to, like I was very much on team Riker and I just like, I'm not, there. Well, I was never on Team Riker, but I wanted the show to get me on Team Riker. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was very willing. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like, take me. Take me with you. Uh, <laughs> they never did. They never brought me on board. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think a lot of the way that Riker has been living, at least since Gabriel left and, you know, possibly before, um, has just been with fear. You know, he's feared you know what they're doing he's feared the response from the primes if they found out that he helped gabriel he fears what will happen if the gnolls find out the truth about them um and you know when you act on fear you don't always make the smartest choices sure and i think that's kind of what he's been that's the life he's been leading for at least 70 years yeah so. yeah that's very true um i did think it was interesting that Riker knew Simone so well that she's like he was like oh she's gonna let them choose who dies like I know her like that's what she's gonna do (laughs) yeah that's like really specific uh Simone is a cold hard bitch and I love her R.E.P. um (laughs) seriously and I I think that Riker's probably a little bit afraid of her (laughs) oh no he's really afraid of her I I mean mean, I'm kind of afraid of her you can see like the terror on his like later in the episode when they're having lunch what a great scene. <laughs> he is so afraid of both of them. Like, yeah, he lives in complete fear of, of them yeah. for sure. 
Uh, I really am curious to find out how Echo's going to respond to Murphy moving forward because we saw two episodes ago that she was kind of upset and angry about his betrayal and she still seems to kind of like have thrown him out of her family group. Yeah. She's like, oh, they're going to kill Murphy, I guess. I, I don't even have to wonder about who. Um, so, I, you know, I, I just, I wonder if she really has kind of banished him <laughs> to use a word <laughs> emotionally emotionally banished him from her family yeah you know? well I mean she's definitely still harboring a grudge I think for again for somebody who spends most of their waking time if not all of their waking time concerned with saving and protecting her family this is a particular strike um this was a hard blow that her Murphy dealt her um I think it it hit a nerve with her um I think it's going to take some time to come around, as it should, because that was a really big, bad thing he did. Yeah, it was. And he deserves it. He, he does. He does. He deserves to be knocked around a little bit. Yeah, he needs to get punished, <laughs> for sure. Maybe not burned alive. No. But certainly that's punished. A, that's a little far. <laughs> <laughs> let's check in with Sky Crew, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. So locked up with the rest of Sky Crew, Murphy realizes it'll be he who was executed that night. Maddie, under the influence of Shade Hedda, calls him a traitor, and Abby questions this when she hears it. Maddie then tells Abby that Murphy helped Josephine, and Abby slaps him, saying that if Echo doesn't get them out there, they will choose him. So. Yeah. It's rough, buddy. (laughs) Such happy times. But really, though, Maddie went from, like, a little bit murder happy to full-on possessed by the devil in a very short time. Yeah, she's, like, gone. Yeah. To the dark side. Maddie's not there anymore. No. 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 She's, like, fully on the dark side. Yeah. There's nothing of her left, I feel. Well, I mean, there's probably, like, a little bit there, but it's it's not looking good no, right now. No, it's not. <laughs> um, I did want to call out in this scene, I love, I love when, you know, Amore calls out Echo is going to come and save them. Her faith in her is so beautiful. Their friendship is such a welcome addition to this show. I love female friendships. I love the way this show writes them. Um, I just, I just love it. Yeah, you know, we got a tiny bit between Echo and Amori last season, um, but I didn't quite realize how much I wanted and needed and loved it until this season when they really kind of hammered in that specific relationship. Yeah. Um, and it makes perfect sense. Like we've talked about, you know, these are two people who were grounders from obviously from different you know, sections of grounder life and culture, but they they have a lot of common and a lot of shared history. It makes sense that they would gravitate to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very different people, but that makes sense. And I love the way they work together and the yeah. way they have faith in each other. I agree. So, again, talking about Amori. Um, so, okay, in this scene... <laughs> Abby is pissed, obviously. Murphy tries to defend himself, and Maury comes to his... Does he, though? He doesn't defend himself. He offers an explanation, sort of, but not... I don't think he's, like, trying to defend himself. I think he's just trying to explain what happened. I think. I don't think he says anything, does he? Oh, was it not him? I don't think so. I think because Abby calls him out, and then Maddie says what happens. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Sorry, guys. So anyway, so Maddie explains what happened and then Amori comes to Murphy's defense and explains that, you know, he came around and did the right thing, dot, 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 eventually. (laughs) But my question to you and to the viewers and the listeners is, 
do we think that that's enough? I mean, like, does he deserve forgiveness? Like, where where do we fall on the Murphy spectrum here? Um, does he deserve forgiveness? You know what I would say to that? It's not about what you deserve. No. <laughs> I set that up for you so you well. Did. Thank oh you. Oh my god, I just hand delivered that to you in a bow wrap package. Beautiful, beautiful answer. Um, I don't think Murphy has earned forgiveness yet, but I think in I, I mean like I hope that by the end of the season he will have earned my forgiveness. Sure. Okay. Um I think that he can. I don't think he went too far you know like he really towed that line he maybe crossed the line but I think he's back on the other side of the line again so. yeah well, I, I mean like that's so interesting that we're like yeah he like full-on murdered the main character but like that's well, not too far he didn't though he I mean he seemed like he was going to but we never got to like actually see him make that choice yeah so it, it I think was that's kind of what saved him <laughs> right up against that line he was saved by the bell if you will but um <laughs> that's the, your allotment for bad puns today you are you are out <laughs> that's it that was a good one <laughs> so glad you amused yourself we're done um so yeah, I agree with you. He has not earned my forgiveness yet, but I am more than happy to have him earn it back. Yes. I'm, again, ready and willing to be taken on board. Yeah, you know, I think this season has been interesting for Murphy, and it's not the direction I thought they would go, but we've seen how Murphy has grown and changed since season one, and it's been, like, quite a lot. Oh, yes. And perhaps last season you could say he was his most selfless self. Maybe, um, you know, I still think that he's got a lot of selfish tendencies even there. Yeah. But I think last season it was still a lot about protecting his family. Um, and then this season he backtracked out of that a little bit and went much more into like a protect myself zone and then my family if I can. That was like a secondary Yeah, thing. he regressed. He regressed a little. And I don't think that's a bad thing because people do that in yeah, real life. Yeah, I agree. I, th I think that's very fair um, and true to character, especially for somebody who has dealt with as much trauma and has so many self-preservation instincts as Murphy. It makes sense that he would backtrack a little bit. Um, but again, I'm ready for him to grow. Yeah, I, I hope that he grows in a different way this year, or like after like the events of this year. You know, he's regressed. I think he'll come to find out that his family still loves him anyway. Um, Lucky even though, dude. you know, he should, you know, maybe get slept around a little bit. <laughs> um, but maybe then going forward, he will really start trying to do better for himself and like, for his own soul, um, which I think would be interesting to see. And we've never really had from Murphy before. Like he's always been willing to do what needs to be done to save both him and then his family. Um, and so now I'm wondering, like, are we going to see him actually like consider, should I do, you know, mm -hmm. what quote unquote needs to be done? Um, right. So maybe, maybe we will, maybe I'm just completely spitballing. And no, no, I think we'll get an, into more of this in a bit actually in this episode. Yeah. Uh, also, Abby. Yeah. This, I mean, I get she's upset. It is her daughter. She should be upset. But Abby, you couldn't even tell that your own daughter was body snatched. It's not like, a good look. I think you are <laughs> placing this blame in the wrong place. You think, you think it's displacement? <laughs> I, I don't know. Is it, it projection? <laughs> <laughs> like, out of everyone, if I were Clark, I would be 
much angrier at my mother not knowing that it was me than at one of my friends who already has a kind of shady moral compass, you know, trying to help my enemy kill me. I, I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a tough one, but... <laughs> yeah, and to even go further on this, I mean, like, does Abby even have the moral authority to lecture Murphy on morality at this point? I mean, I think there are two different things happening here. I mean, as a mother, I think she has the right to be upset with Murphy, but as a, like, moral lecturer... Does she have any legs to stand on after what we just after she just killed an innocent person to save her boyfriend last episode? Yeah, no. First off, no. I no. don't think she does. Um, I, I have very little warm feeling toward Abby at this point. I honestly just I have a hard time caring about her at all. But I will say I see in her mind that like killing a random person is not as bad as like trying to kill your friend which I don't agree or disagree with you know well but again from an emotional place like that makes sense but from like a logical place like every person's life is equally valuable so like you can't can't this is not a word valueize or however I want to say what I'm trying to say attribute value yeah you can't attribute value you can't trade a life for a life so Again, from an emotional place and as an interpersonal place, like I understand her being outraged on behalf of the fact that this is her daughter we're talking about. And I don't dis- I wouldn't expect anything less than that from mm-hmm. a mother. I wouldn't, ex- like if she weren't outraged, I would be also taking issue with that. I just think that the juxtaposition of this little spat taking place immediately after what we just saw her doing last episode, which was reprehensible. Um, it's a little bit like a pot calling a kettle black. I think it's actually worse for Abby than anyone else because she was a doctor and as a doctor, you're supposed to value all life equally. Yeah. Um, which is why, again, a lot of times doctors like can't operate on their family members or they can't, you know, prescribe different things to people that they know or, or love. Um, and it's because you have to keep that objectivity and Abby has completely lost it at this point but like that is really? supposed to be the core you think of do no harm <laughs> and abby has just blown war right past that sign she is down the highway like again so far down you can't see it <laughs> oh abby what are we gonna do with you oh. clark passes out from seizing and wakes up in her mind space where it's clear that josephine's mind is converging with her own Clark figures out that in order to regain consciousness, they have to separate their minds again. So despite Josephine's protests, she starts throwing Josephine's memories out the airlock. So this, I, I'm assuming, I mean, I, I guess I don't really ever know with this show, but I'm assuming this is the last that we're going to see of Clark's mind space. Yeah, and I, I think really, you're right. I really do wish that we'd seen a little bit more of it outside of, like, Nevermind and then this episode, because I, I really wanted to know what the hell Clark has been doing in there all this time. You know, like, last, was it, yeah, episode nine, she made out, she made Josephine spell out boohoo, you know? Mm-hmm. So she was... Chilling. In Josephine's memories at that point. Like, she was in Josephine's side of the brain. Yeah. I, I'm assuming, because that's where she had to be with the lights. Um, so, like, what else was she... Did she, like, do any research? Like, did, like what, what what were you doing, Clark? <laughs> was she, like, playing chess with Wells? And they just didn't get to film it? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, for me, I feel very comfortable with the amount of time we've spent in the mind space. I think this was as much as I needed from the show as far as like pacing and uh, you know plot development 
I don't feel like I needed more um, to get where we needed to go in this season. It would be fun to like hang out there and see what was going on, but maybe as like an extra. Yeah, I guess I just really liked the mind space so much. I liked the sets. I loved the idea that like anyone could just pop in. Um, it was it was just really fun, and I am gonna miss it. I mean, I don't miss Clark being locked in there. Yeah, but yeah, I also am like I really don't want took Clark to ever have to be trapped in her own mind no. ever again so like I'm perfectly fine if this like never comes back I would like it to be like a Sherlock thing when Clark when like life is getting a little hard she can just start meditating and retreat into her mind space <laughs> sure <laughs> sure maybe maybe yeah that's nice um so I guess the whole Dave killing himself in front of Josephine thing is never going to get more context nope I think that's that which is unfortunate um you know, I, I think the show has done great this season with a lot of things, but I I really wish we could have pushed Josephine's backstory a little bit further. I agree. And I really feel like given um, the multiple suicides that we've seen this season, that it really deserved a little bit more context. Yeah. Um, it was... It was tricky, and we talked about it a lot already, so yeah. we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I did love, though, the way they showed memories and the way that, like, their minds were colliding and how they showed that mind space, um, because I like that the books kind of felt like pieces of coding in the mind drive almost. Yeah, it was really cool, and I, lo- I love the way that their minds are sort of conflating into mm-hmm. each other. Well, and, like, the way that books would become objects or people and then turn back into books like it was just such a fluid experience um, especially because I think Josephine by making them all into books like really tried to control how those memories are like viewed and stored Um, and now that they're in Clark's mind space which is a little bit more wild and unpredictable um, that's why they're kind of like flickering into and out of books you know what I mean yeah they are unpredictable yeah which is like a lot of Clark is unpredictable Mm -hmm. Um, and Josephine is like very predictable in her patterns and her behaviors um, which all makes really great it's really great characterization it's beautiful it was really well done um I guess my question for you is why does Clark's mind space look like her mind space with Josephine's memories lying around? Um, Because if their memories converged, wouldn't the settings have converged as well? Or do you think it's just like Clark was the dominant mind there? I I, I was trying to figure out, I mean, like, I think the the practical reason is just they didn't want to build more sets. (laughs) That was my my first response. I was like, well, on a practical level, I don't think they wanted to build another set. But I think if you can, in the in-universe reasoning can be, I'm not sure if it's that Clark has the dominant mind, but I think because we are talking about Clark's body and Clark's mind, like this is the territory we're fighting over. Yeah. And like Josephine is leaking into it. I mean, she's like, she's corrupting it and infecting it. Um, And we see that like physically manifested in the mind space um I just thought it was interesting that we didn't see any of Clark's memories you know like in this area it was all just like Josephine stuff had been dumped here maybe it's just because Josephine is now she's lost her library so everything like really that that is what her mind space looks like well I know I mean I think it's because the barrier is breaking down and I think like because this is like the territory they're fighting over like this is the piece of land if you want to like push this to like a physical place if this is the territory they're fighting over 
and the barrier is breaking like things just keep falling into it and leaking into it whereas like this is the place where all of Clark's memories belong like this like nothing of hers is gonna feel out of place um or like you know all her memories are all over the walls she has all these different settings and everything that's the way that her mind space is constructed and that's fine because it's hers and that's its natural place but like Josephine's play things that are falling into it like they don't belong there they are totally out of place and corruptible um so I think that makes sense to me I mean I wonder if any of Clark's stuff was over on Josephine's side of things I guess maybe we only just saw Clark's side of it right yeah but also like like if when your minds converge in my mind I would picture that as being like equal distribution yeah yeah I'm I'm having like a different I think I'm viewing it differently whereas I'm like there's really only one mind like I think Josie's well there's one brain there's one brain Josie's stuff is like in her chip and it's just kind of leaking into Clark's is how I feel about it and like Clark's stuff is not being fed fed into the into the drive maybe I don't know I'm not sure I don't really understand how it works because it's all pseudoscience. So <laughs> that's that's true. We can make up our own. I'm making up my own. <laughs> exactly. My question is, so their brain starts to shut down. I do think it's very generous for Clark to say our brain when it is your brain, Clark. It's mm-hmm. your brain. You don't have to share it. Um, And my question is, you know, she like holds up a gun to Josephine and is like threatening to shoot her in the head. And she says to her, you know, should I just shoot you? And I'm like, is there any real or good reason why Clark doesn't just shoot her? I mean, I know she's like trying to be the, you know, the do-gooder attitude this season. But like this bitch invaded your brain and snatched your body and is trying to kill you. So I feel like a self-defense murder is justifiable in this case. Yeah, I mean, first off, that wouldn't be self-defense necessarily. That would be like a cold blood murder. No, no, it's not. I mean, I think it would be for Clark. But I think beyond that, Clark knows what Bellamy's trying to do. She knows that all of her friends are in danger back, you know, in Sanctum. Um, And I don't know if completely getting rid of Josephine would be the smartest move. Um, At the end of this episode, they might not have a choice. But I just feel like from my point of view, like, she I mean, hit first. Josephine like, definitely has it coming, but I don't know if that's the kind of person Clark is trying to be. I just um, feel like... And even, like, in her, like, old Clarkness, I think Clark is too smart to get rid of a bargaining chip like that when they I have mean, other options. I think that's totally fair for me, though, when she was, like, pointing the gun at him, I was like, yeah, just pull that trigger, bitch. Like, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> um, even if Clark kills Josie and her latest consciousness doesn't back up, wouldn't she still have previous backups on the mind drive? Like, I'm getting a little bit confused. In my mind, the mind drive is like a um, flash drive. Yeah, like a hard drive. Yeah, well, but like I'm saying, like, that's where you, like, keep your backups of things. It's like, even if, like, for example, you are working on a paper and you haven't saved it to your flash drive and you lose that. Yeah. You haven't lost everything else that you've saved to your flash drive, you know? Right. All so, the like, previous versions that you've backed up right. should technically be there. So, like, if Clark kills her, what's the worst that should be able to happen? It should just be that Josie, like, won't back up ever this. since the last time she died, which was when, I guess, Clark killed her the last the first time. time. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's true. I, I don't know. That's not the way the show is portraying it. I know. But but I think they got a little confused. Okay. 
Because I think that that's true. Or maybe Josephine just thinks that the mind drive's coding is corrupted right now because of the way that things are like spilling mm. out into Clark's mind. I don't know. I mean, I guess we are, again, trying to prescribe way too much, like, reality onto this. Well, just to take it even further, because I did have another question about this. Mm -hmm. um, I got really confused and curious about floating these memories. Because, like, the mind space is is a construct of Clark's mind. Um, So if they are floating the memories... Where are they actually going? Like, are they deleting files? Like, what's happening? That's kind of how I viewed it was they, I mean, like, the act of floating in Clark's mind means it's gone it's forever. Like deletion? So it is, I think that's how she saw deletion. Okay. <laughs> Just clarifying. Because I was like, that's nice. <laughs> I'm glad that you, like, made this construct of floating. But, like, that's not... I mean, like, I where are the memories going? It's Clark's mind, so she can do what she wants. <laughs> yes, sure, sure. And you know what? Like, I feel like it's really important to call out that once again, Clark finds the third option here. Like, Clark being Clark, as usual, is the smartest person in the room. She has two options before her. She can either shoot Josephine, which is the option I voted for, but nobody listens to me, <laughs> or they can both die in their brain. Um, but no, Clark finds the third option, the third door which is they can float these memories and save both of them. Also, it's also kind of like a big, like, F you to Josephine. She's like, oh, I guess to save us, I'm going to have to destroy you. you. I will literally <laughs> erase you. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not terrible. I'm not mad about it. Although I do think she should have just shot her, but oh. that's fine. It would have been easier. This episode would have been a lot less dramatic. <laughs> I mean, that's true. And I wouldn't have gotten all my Bellar reserve at the end. So I will take it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel better about it now. <laughs> I've like talked myself back into it. <laughs> <sighs> so Raven tells Murphy that she understands that he's scared to die. But the answer to the fear of hell is morality, not immortality. Then Gaia is brought into the room, much to Maddie's fury. And Gaia reveals Echo's plan to everyone. So Raven has clearly taken Kane's missive to lead others by moral example to heart. Um, And she immediately starts here with Murphy and uses one of her best lines ever. She tells him, if you want to avoid hell, the answer is not immortality, it's morality. And this just beautifully sums up what we've been talking about on the podcast all along, which is it is our choices that make us who we are. And again, plays really nicely into what you were saying earlier about tasking Murphy to examine why he should do things and how to save himself from a moral standpoint instead of a physical standpoint. Yeah. Um, instead of saving himself in his mortal coil. He that should... was a much more succinct way to put it. That's what I was trying to get at. Not saving yourself physically, but saving yourself spiritually, spiritually. and morally. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And I, I knew we were going to get there. So I was just like, let's table this for later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this is fantastic. And I love I love giving Raven a new leadership role. A real, another a new responsibility for Raven. She got a promotion. <laughs> um, to sort of check in with people and help guide them spiritually. I love that journey for her, to quote Schitt's Creek. <laughs> um, and I'm really into this. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a little philosophical here for a second. I think it's really interesting that this season Murphy has seemed to believe that there is a hell. That there sure. is some sort of hell that he's going to, whether that's the Christian hell or some other religion or just like a all-purpose hell <laughs> for bad For people. bad things. 
Um, he believes that it exists and he believes he's going there, which denotes in my mind that he believes in the concept of a soul mm-hmm. and the way that a soul is completely separate from the body. Sure. Um, yet he also thinks that a mind drive will give him immortality where, you know, the mind drive is very clearly a piece of technology mm-hmm. that copies your brain and puts it in a new body. Um in my mind, if I believed in a soul, I don't think I would believe that that mind drive would carry my soul. Like, I, I think that people who believe in souls tend to believe that your soul and, like, your your mind, they work in tandem, but they're Different. separate um, because your mind is part of your body. Um it kind of reminds me of the movie The Prestige, where there's, like, a, a plot line in the movie where this guy um, kills himself and clones himself simultaneously so um it's like part of a magic trick that like he drowns in a tank of water every night in front of um, a crowd of people but also like reincarnates himself somewhere else and like starts the the circle over again and so the question always is are you going to be the one drowning in the tank or are you going to be the one reincarnated um and i think that's kind of what we're asking here with the mind drives um i i have a, a hard time believing that if murphy thinks there's a soul that he would also think that soul would transfer through a mind drive yeah so maybe what, he's not thinking that hard about it I do not think he's thinking that hard about it I don't think that they are I don't think that they are um so uh, I don't think that Christian faith and the belief of the Christian soul has like carried through to I mean they have a different religion entirely on right, the but arc soul's but not just a Christian no concept. no I don't think so I'm not I, I don't disagree with you on that but I do think that Murphy does not seem to be very well educated in the idea of souls and like religion and all of that so for him to conflate the soul with with his um consciousness makes sense to me I don't think that he understands that if he were to die and then have his mind copied onto an, a hard drive and then inserted in another body that his soul would not recognize this new body and would already assume that it's dead and going to heaven or hell you know what I mean like that that seems to be way too above his head for what Murphy's level of education is it's kind of like the question maybe I've talked about this in the podcast before but in Star Trek there's the transporter um, and yeah. the transporter essentially like copies your body's anatomy down to like every cell, every atom in your body, and then like rebuilds it elsewhere, but it rebuilds it from other materials. So like theoretically, when you transport yourself like from a ship down to the planet, your body is being completely dissolved atomically and then recreated somewhere else. And it's like, is that you or not? You know, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. have an answer. These to that, are good questions. I don't think we're meant to have an answer to them. No, we're not. No, I no, just I, like this is just an it. exercise in, in discussion. No, this is why we have a podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I do think that's a really interesting question. I never even thought about the idea of a soul, but we are talking about this concept of hell and like you're, you're not even saving your soul from hell you know, with this chip, yeah. I think is what you're getting at is like Murphy, no matter what, if you die, like you're going to hell, your chip won't save you from that. Um, because your soul is its own thing. So that's really interesting. That's how I would view it. Yeah. But that, I mean, I think, I think that's a, a pretty universal understanding of how a soul works. Um, so yeah, that's super interesting. And I wish Murphy, you know, went to theology school or something because clearly he could use a brush up or two. <laughs> 
Um, but I did like what you said about Raven and how she's trying to be that moral example now after Kane is gone. Um, and we do see here in this scene that she is much more an- understanding to Murphy and what Murphy did than she was to Clark. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It is interesting, but I am like trying to withhold judgment because I'm hoping that after her interactions with Kane last episode, um, she's going to be a little bit more understanding going forward of the choices that Clark has made um, and the reasoning she made it. And that, you know, she didn't make those choices to hurt her friends. It was more of to save someone else, which I think are two different things that Raven completed. Yeah, Um, I agree. I, I don't think that Raven is wrong, again, in being angry at Clark, but I just... I'm not sure I like the like hypocrisy here with her and Raven or with her and Murphy. Um, so I'm just I'm just hoping this will be rectified. Basically, I just want Raven and Clark to be friends again. <laughs> same, same. And I do think that this um, sort of forgiving, understanding Raven is a good sign yeah. to how she will be with Clark moving forward. I just deeply resent the fact that she's like able to forgive Murphy for this when it's been a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no forgiveness for Clark at all. Um, okay, let's talk about Maddie a little bit. I I know she's technically possessed by Shade Hedda and that this is not Maddie doing all of these stupid things. Um, but I just have to say that I'm like really done with this plot and I'm really done with her attitude. Um, I don't understand this Shade Hedda stuff that's happening this season. I don't get it. So that's that's how I feel. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's much of a point outside of Maddie needing to cause a little trouble and also them having to give Maddie like a like a plot this season. I, I don't yeah. know. We haven't seen the end of the season, so we don't know what will happen with this. Um, it's possible something will be done with this that will change how things are going forward. Um so I, I don't know, and maybe I should withhold judgment until that point. But as it stands right now, I am equally as confused by the Shade Hedda thread. That just doesn't quite seem to fit. It doesn't quite seem to fit, and I also am just, like, really tired of people giving in to her authority when she's, like, clearly possessed. And also, she's 12. Well, she yeah, is a 12-year-old child. <laughs> But, like, really, though, like, Miller? What the hell? Like, he comes in, or Gaia comes in, and he's like, I thought you were banished. I'm like, Miller, you're not a grounder. Do you care that she's banished by a 12-year-old child? <laughs> I know. And it's like, I don't, I, I, all of it. I, this whole, yeah. see, it was really weird. Um, I did love, though, when they, like, bring Gaia in, and, and Sky Crew, like, hears the guards coming, and they were standing on the table trying to, like, break out, and they, like, quickly move the table and then just, like, casually drape themselves <laughs> over it, like, we were here the whole time. What? <laughs> Nothing. I wasn't doing anything. We have not moved from this place. <laughs> <laughs> it was very cute. It was very, very cute. Uh, but, so, let's move to the primes. Yeah. And they are having lunch. They are. <laughs> they are lunching. They are lunching as a verb. Uh, so they're having lunch, and Ty is brought into the dining hall. The guards say he has information about where Echo is hiding. Riker looks worried, but Ty tells the Primes that he knows they're not gods and that will, it will only be just if Josephine dies in the forest for what she's done. Simone gets upset, but Ty breaks a glass and slits her throat, and then Russell holds her as she dies, promising to bring her back. 
Um, so first off, oh my God, these primes are extra. <laughs> like they're just like sitting in their dining hall, like eating lunch with their like wine goblets. And yeah. in the meantime, they're going to burn someone that night. Like, yeah, no, it's totally normal. It's just a typical day in the life of a prime. And I have to say, like, I have never truly appreciated Simone until this episode. Like, she, again, she is the most self-aware and honest prime of the bunch. Like she just flat out calls Riker on his hypocrisy. They've been murdering people for centuries. Why he should start caring now is bizarre. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, dude, we've been doing this the whole time. What's your problem? Like, she just, she is very self-aware and I appreciate I appreciate it man I appreciate you Simone you scare me but you also are very impressive yeah yeah (laughs) I respect it yeah (laughs) you know um but also Riker was like since when are we executing people again which denotes they do this or have done this in the past maybe often and it, I, I'm, I just want to know how did that start? Yeah. Where, where was the genesis of the burning idea? <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. I, I don't want to, you know, harp on this too much because I've already been harping on it a lot. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. Like, what was the, f- I mean, at least what was the first time? What was the cause of the first execution? Yes. You know, series of executions, and why did you stop doing it? It's all good questions. Um, I love that Russell just came here to have a nice meal with his evil immortal family and it got ruined. Like, why can't he have nice things? Can't we just enjoy a meal together? A nice together? lunch. <laughs> like, sorry, dude. We have some shit to talk about. He's like, just let me eat my salad. <laughs> I just came here to have a good, good time. time. <laughs> and honestly, I'm feeling so attacked right now. <laughs> um... Did Gaia get caught on purpose to tell Sky Crew the plan? Is yes. that what happened? Okay, I thought that was the case. Yes, but that's the plan. Just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Um, that was a great plan, Gaia. Yes. I mean, honestly, like, did that need to happen? No. Like, she, she didn't could have, have to. She tell could have him. helped Echo. Yeah. Whatever. Sure. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Fine. Whatever. Um. And did Ty come in to spill the beans about Echo or was he just using that as an excuse to get close to the prime? No, I think he was using it as I don't think he was ever going to disclose about Echo. I think he was using it to to get close to the primes and try and kill them. I don't disagree, um, but it was like odd the way the guard phrased it. Like it was the guard's idea to bring him to the primes. Maybe he just kind of knew that's where he'd end up. Yeah, I think he just assumed that because he had such sensitive information that the guards would immediately bring him in to yeah. wrestle because it's about Josephine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think it like I did want to call out, you know, Russell's behavior here because as soon as Ty's brought in, Russell immediately starts to ply him with food and hospitality. He's like trying to put him at ease and tell to get him to tell them everything. And like, boy, did he read the room wrong. Like, <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it's not gonna work. <laughs> Sit down. Kick your feet up. Let me get you a glass of wine. We're having lunch. <laughs> We're lunching. <laughs> like, like, buddy. No, no. And I really appreciated that. Like, Ty called out Josephine specifically as the worst of them because that felt like very true and like very therapeutic for him. You yeah. know, is like you. My child was murdered so your child could live. Like. The scales are so unbalanced at this point. It's like Also, horrific. my child was murdered as a baby when your 150-year-old child like, wanted to live. <laughs> horribly murdered. Yeah. Like painfully Literally murdered. Literally eaten alive by plants. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's horrific. It's horrific. 
Uh, I, you know, Simone, what can you say? Unfortunately, this may be the last time we see her. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, again, season's not over. Uh, but I will miss her personally. I, I've, I've appreciated her presence. I will miss her too. Um, and I, I'm sorry, Russell, because I like get why you love this woman. And I also <laughs> like, again, she like keeps him. I think she balances him so well. And we see like, immediately. I mean, like, it's not just the fact that she died in front of him pretty brutally. Mm-hmm. Um, but like his previous facade of like kindness and benevolence just evaporates you know it's it's pure rage on his face and I think she checks his worst impulses because he tends to be really emotional um even though she was the one who's like let's burn them all um that's a very practical decision actually (laughs) (laughs) but I do think she does check him and she's not there anymore to sort of hold and rein him back so that's I'm gonna miss her yeah his emotions are now spiraling yeah he's 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 uh losing it but let's all take a moment of silence for Simone. Yes. R.I.P. Simone. Okay. Moment's done. Dem- moment's done. <laughs> <laughs> In the mind space, Josephine and Clark watch Josephine II dance with Gabriel II. Seeing how attached she is to the memory, Clark lets Josie keep that one. Clark rushes away to float more memories, and Josephine realizes that the memory of her father killing her has turned into an axe. She picks it up, but before she can do anything with it, Clark vents the entire hallway of the mind space, and Josephine wakes up in Clark's body being eaten by the tree vines. So um, we do see here that it wasn't Gabriel's choice to take a new body the first time around. Um, But again, like then how many times after that did they do it willingly? Because he couldn't have, he had to have had at least what, five or six bodies? Yeah, I was going to say at least four. Is it like he would just fall asleep one night and like wake up in a new body and Josephine's like, oops. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm I'm assuming he chose it at some, you know, points. Yeah, I think she worked on him she's very seductive yeah and I think he just sort of let things go until he literally couldn't live with himself anymore and he ran away yeah it does in an interesting way feel like we're getting a glimpse into a different show this season Hmm. it's kind of like you know in the same way that Josephine's and Clark's minds are converging it's like the hundred is colliding with the primes show Mm -hmm. um and it's like a crossover where there's like this rich history between all of these characters um from Sanctum but we aren't really privy to it you know like we're just getting little glimpses of it yeah I love it I mean like that's why this show is so fantastic because even though we haven't spent that much time with these people, we feel the rich history and the characterization and the, you know, everything that has made up this world and great world building here. Um, and that's a, that's really good writing. Do you know what would be a great title for a show? The Primes. I love it. I, I want that to be a show now. Like the originals? <laughs> yes. Like the originals. The Primes. It would be just like the originals. One evil family throughout the centuries. <laughs> that are like horrible people. But, but you yet. them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Simone. <laughs> R.I.P. Simone. Um, yeah. Sure. Maybe. Maybe that's the spinoff that Jason's yeah. planning. Jason, if you're listening, we gave you a title. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Right there. Godspeed. <laughs> um, let's talk about this paper lantern, lantern making business because... This scene between Josephine and Gabriel is a mirror of the Bellamy and Clark scene at the beginning of this season, which 
a coincidence? I think not. Um, you they don't think? are romantic. I think this is one of the clearest indications that this show is um, going in a romantic direction because they keep juxtaposing. I mean, we'll get into this way more later. Um, but they keep juxtaposing the relationship between Gabriel and Josephine with Bellamy and Clark. And Josephine and Gabriel are romantic, guys. That's not disputable. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to call that out. I felt like it was important. Sure. All right. Yeah. I just also liked it. I, th- I thought that was a really good visual cue. It was a good cue. Um, I was curious, kind of mirroring your question earlier about why Clark didn't kill Josephine. Why doesn't Josephine kill Clark here in this scene? She, like, has the axe. It seems like she has opportunity. Um, and but motive. She, well, definite motive. And, like, there's no reason why she wouldn't whereas like there is a reason for clark needing josephine yeah but josephine doesn't need i have no idea i was thinking the same thing like she picks up the axe and we're all like oh shit it's coming and then it doesn't until the very end yeah (laughs) i don't know i don't know why she doesn't do it here i don't get it yeah i don't know if someone understands can you tweet at us thanks um I also think it's super interesting in this scene, even though it's like Josephine's reflecting on it and it's like one of her best memories of them. They're so in love. It's so romantic. This paper lantern, it's all fuzzy and warm lighting. It's it's very, uh, you know, seductive. But even in this moment, like Gabriel knows that they can't do this forever or he doesn't want to do this forever and he foresees a future where he should and can die. But Josephine does not. You know, like she's like, I don't see why we can't continue to do this forever. This seems totally feasible to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Which just goes to demonstrate, like, they are fundamentally different people and they conflict over major issues. Like, your romantic partner in life, you can be total opposites, but you should agree on, like, the fundamentals. and like moral fundamentals. Right, building blocks of a life together. Mm -hmm. And, like, the fact that you guys are not on the same page here, it's a pretty clear indication you were never going to last. Yeah, you know, talking about the parallels between Gabriel and Josephine and Clark and Bellamy, um, these are two couples or a couple of people (laughs) that are very different at their cores. Like Clark and Bellamy are also very different, but Clark and Bellamy are different in ways that complement each other. Whereas it seems from what we've seen at this point that Gabriel and Josephine are different in ways that clash with each other. Sure. Like when you um, see Bellark, Bellark, when you see Bellamy and Clark, interact together they are with it they're so in sync when you're they're so it's so such a joy to watch them and their teamwork is so beautiful when you watch Josephine and Gabriel they're a hot mess like they are all over the place yeah um and so you know you know that this was never going to last and the fact that Josephine still in this in this current time sees a future for them it just shows like how delusional she is about what the nature of their relationship is like yeah it's not good for either of them like you're not meant to be together sorry well I think it's fine for her I just don't think it's good for him (laughs) well it's not good for her because that's not a real relationship if you're yeah you know like that's not actually I mean again it goes back to like the fact like of when Bellamy was talking about saving Clark directly to her and Josephine's like I've never in I've never felt this kind of love before it's because no one's ever loved her like that yeah anyway okay rant over (laughs) also talking about josephine i just wanted to call out um 
that in this scene, she she seems to be feeling shame about some of the actions in her past. And I'm just curious, like, is this an act for Clark? Is Are these actual genuine feelings of shame? What do you think? I think that going through her memories is making Josephine reflect on the person that she is. I don't think, I, I wouldn't say she's regretting the person she's become, but she is kind of seeing that she maybe wasn't always as soulless and evil as she kind of is at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it was more of just a statement of fact instead of like a manipulation for Clark. Um, I mean, I think it kind of has the added benefit of making Clark feel a little bit more for her, just given that Clark is also not the girl she used to be. Yeah. Um, But I am curious, like if it isn't just a manipulation for Clark, you know, what really did bring out those sociopathic tendencies in Josephine? Was it seeing Dave kill himself? Was it having her father kill her and then being brought back in a new body? Was it Gabriel leaving her? You know, like what really oh, I think set it's her off? All of the above. I think it's just a bunch of tiny things. And also like you were saying in a previous episode, just the the removal of humanity by being put into a body different bodies over and over again it's it just like removes your 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 humanity I think a little bit it eats away at you um and I I do agree I don't think that this is pure manipulation because she comes out of this and is like we're actually kind of friends okay um (laughs) (laughs) Bellamy's like sure um (laughs) sure Jan sure sure (laughs) but I I I do think it's really interesting because, and I, and actually to answer your question from earlier, maybe this is why she doesn't kill her. Maybe this is why she doesn't use the ax. Yeah, maybe. Because I think she's starting, I think, I think she's feeling something that maybe she can't quite identify. And Clark reaches out to her and offers her this really amazing line. She tells her, we can let the bad things that happen to us define who we are, or we can define who we are. Which, again, is just, like, a beautifully distilled sentiment for this, like, new phase of the show in season six. This is an awesome line. I love it. Um, And I think this sort of um, reaching across the table to Josephine maybe in turn makes her feel a little bit more sympathetic to Clark and just takes makes her pause for a beat before killing her. That's a good point. I did want to reflect on that line a little bit. Um... I, and I think I've actually brought this up not too recently, but right after Finn went on his little murder spree back in season two, Clark says to him, um, the things that we've done to survive, they don't define us. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I don't think the show has demonstrated that to be true. Right. But when, I, when I'm saying that, um, I mean that the characters might have been saying these things don't define us, but they were letting those things define them anyway. Yeah. So that with the things they were saying and the way that they were behaving are two different um, things. Whereas I think here Clark has learned that like, maybe it is true that like the, the things that we've done don't necessarily define who we are, but we have to actively choose to not let them do that. Like we have to choose to define who we are ourselves. Otherwise, we're just going to passively have, you know, those things choose for us. Right. We can either be reactive and, and, you know, always coming from a place 
a defensive place or we can like proactively choose to be the kind of person we want to be in the future. Like Dioza's been saying, you know, over and over again, every day you can choose to do better. Yeah. That's the best part, right? It's like there's no expiration date on being better or doing better. And that's like Clark's whole missive this season, which is awesome. Um, I don't think Josephine takes this to heart, this beautiful little lesson, <laughs> but I appreciate Clark saying it nonetheless. You know, under different circumstances, maybe Josephine would have. Maybe. This was kind of the lot she was handed and she wanted to keep the body. And so this is kind of the path she followed. But I don't know. Who knows what would have happened if we'd met Josephine in other circumstances? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. But she probably would have been just as evil. So. I think so. <laughs> I'm not ready to give her the benefit of the doubt. I've seen no evidence to the contrary. <laughs> um, when Clark vented her mind space, though, did she lose anything of hers as well? I guess this kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier about how the minds were converging. Maybe she was just able to, like, tell all of her mind space friends to just, like, be somewhere else right now. Don't be in the space part of my mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she can control all of the things in her mind space. So she yeah. can, like, choose not to float them, like you were saying. It's yeah. her mind space. She can do what she wants. Yeah. Um, and then we wake up, and she is being eaten by vines. And it's like, damn, those trees were hungry. And, like, Clark is just laying herself out like a happy meal. <laughs> and they just went at it. They went a little crazy. Yeah, she's the full-on Big Mac and French fries. Yeah. <laughs> she's tasty. <laughs> <laughs> um but she doesn't die spoiler alert she does not die instead gabriel and octavia find josephine and cut her free from the vines and then josephine signals her guards who capture the group before josephine can be taken back to sanctum though one of the guards shoots the others and it's revealed to be bellamy Gabriel rushes Josephine off to his tent to operate, and Bellamy tells Jade to pass the message to Russell that if Russell hurts his people, Bellamy will destroy Josephine's mind drive forever. Forever. Yeah, this is a great scene. Um, I especially loved Octavia. She was so glad and so relieved to see Clark. It was very endearing. Mm-hmm. It's so nice to see her emoting like a person again. Yeah, um, she's like acting like a human and it's wonderful. It's so odd. It's really strange, but I love it. This whole episode, like she didn't really have a huge role to play actively, but she was like in the background a lot, just kind of being a, a, a human. Human. She was human. <laughs> it was very strange for her. And also like what a bummer to find out that this is actually not Clark. Yeah. This is Josephine. Womp, womp. She and like, then, like she like emotionally reaches out to her, gets nothing, and then Gabriel like just looks at her and and like Clark's face is like beaming and you're like, "Oh no, this is <laughs> not Clark." <laughs> Poor Octavia was so sad and disappointed. Yeah. She also was not happy to have Josephine call no. her Bloodrina. And I was like, "Josephine, you don't know her life. You don't know what she's been through." <laughs> No, no. I don't I don't think Josephine meant it that way. I think that's the only way no, she recognizes I, her, I, but I, I know. But like it's too soon. It's a it little is. too soon. It is, especially because Bloodrina no more. Yeah. She's <laughs> gone. She has left the building. Um I love how Josephine, you know, in true Josephine form, reunites with Gabriel. She's so happy to see him and then immediately betrays him. She's like the scorpion and the the frog. It's my nature. It's her nature. She cannot help her. It's compulsive. And she, like, does say to him, like, I won't let them hurt you. But, like, does even she have that kind of power? Like, if they brought Gabriel back to Sanctum, he's going to die. No. Like, like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is self-preservation at its finest. She's like, yeah, sure, I'll take care of you. But I got to take care of me first. 
Yeah, but like I, I truly believe that she thinks she can protect Gabriel. I think she does too. I just think that's bullshit. It's wrong. Yeah. It's very wrong. And Octavia is so done with Josephine. It was they're like crawling in silence, and then Josephine's like over here, yeah. and Octavia's <laughs> like you had one job to do, <laughs> one job. Um, but of course. They do not really get captured because Bellamy swoops in to save the day. And, you know, my boy Bellamy, he loves playing dress up, doesn't he? He really does. Like, if he, a season goes by where he doesn't get to play dress up, it's a bad season for Bell. I, I like to, like, my headcanon is, like, this, like, goes hand in hand with this, like, he's such a history nerd. Yeah. Like, a history buff. He just loves, like, getting into character and, like, playing dress up and like reliving all like the historical events like I can totally see him dressing up in like a toga (laughs) being like let's recite the Iliad another time oh yeah (laughs) that's our Bellamy uh and I love Josephine's oh Bellamy because of course it is of course you're here I just can't seem to shake you you are so obsessed with this girl whose body I've snatched you're like a barnacle (laughs) (laughs) um but you know in all seriousness I actually Loved, loved, loved this reunion between Bellamy and Octavia. Um, The dynamic has changed so much, you know, from the earlier seasons where Bellamy was so emotive when it came to Octavia and Octavia slowly over the course of six years or six seasons pulled away, drew into herself, become and became kind of a shell of the sister that he knew. Um, And now she's finally like found that person again or found the direction that she wants to go in moving forward and Bellamy has not seen her do that so he still kind of expects her to be this like again blood Raina. yeah she expects her to be blood Drena, um and she's not and so it's like they flipped roles in yeah a way, that he's kind of just like awkwardly like oh uh hi and <laughs> I I really appreciate it because I don't I don't want the dynamic to be like Octavia gets better and in Bellar- Bellamy I can continue to call him Bellarc I'm sorry guys <laughs> Bellamy just immediately forgives her right like I want to see him work through his side of the issues because this is a two-edged sword yeah their relationship and so I need him to work through it and again have her earn back his affection yeah. and his esteem and so it makes sense to me that he's very cold to her. You know, like she goes to hug him and he just like kind of taps her and is like, there, there. That's nice. Like, <laughs> I'm not reciprocating. This is not, this is, we're not there yet. Yeah. And it's clear that, you know, they still, they have so much to work through. And he basically gives her the cold shoulder as they head back to Gabriel's tent. Like he is ice cold. But what's even better is like she accepts that. Yes. And like doesn't, you know, get her panties in a twist about it. She's right. like, she gets why he's angry and she chooses to still be open anyway. She because, doesn't draw away. Right, because finally she's accepting the responsibility for herself. Yes. And we've come full circle. I love it. <laughs> am um, I standing this Octavia shit? Yes, I am. <laughs> Octavia's plotline has been my favorite. It is season. hands down the best that thing is, of season six. Even including Bellarg for me. Same. I feel like I love the Bellarg stuff, but Octavia's plotline has just been so cathartic that agreed and i can't believe i'm saying it i know right (laughs) (laughs) um i really want more from jade though you know she's been very present this season she's been in a lot of episodes but she's a very very flat character we haven't gotten much from her she's just kind of like there and i think that the hundred can do better you know what I mean yeah I, I think this is a time and I'm not um defending them because I, I t- totally agree with you but I think you know when they're prioritizing 
things like and they only have a certain amount of time to do stuff I think that this is just very low on the priority list for them but we have seen them do a lot of character work in tiny little beats like we've seen them put in effort with other characters to just fill in those lines and fill and you know fill out a character's depth a little bit with just like very little time and very little work like for example I knew who Luna was from the first episode we met her you know like I got Luna she was like a very fully formed character in my mind after one episode and Jade's been in like many episodes this season and I'm still just like who are you and to be fair I don't think Jade as a person has really been given the chance to evolve much of a personality outside of like her role as a protector well sure kind of become what she is you know she's a little bit like a riley she i mean yes i wasn't gonna say it i don't know if it's quite as bad as riley it's not quite as offensive as riley no no it's not (laughs) riley i miss you so who the fuck are you riley (laughs) Uh, riley's dead now god Um, Jade does not make it back in time to deliver the message as we see later this episode. So, like, thank God Sky Crew saves themselves because, like, Jade, can't you run a little bit faster? Apparently not. (laughs) They're very far away, I guess. I guess. Very far away. Um, but that, that's that for that. So, uh, that's that for that. (laughs) It was good. Yeah, that was really smooth. I I can say words. (laughs) Sure you can. Do you want to move to the next scene? I think this is the... Oh, no, it's not the nope. last scene. Nope. Oh, nope. I think I just selectively erased the fact that, like, we're burning people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Gaia speaks directly to Shade Hedda, telling him that she wouldn't let him take Maddie. Maddie jumps up and screams at her. Jackson's worried about what Maddie would do with the sleeping warriors on the mothership, and Gaia wonders if they might have to kill Maddie. Raven theorizes that she may be able to delete the part of the code containing Shadehead's consciousness, but before the plan can go much further, the guards show up and reveal to them that Josephine, not Josephine, Russell, because of Josephine, is executing everyone but Maddie. So I think that this is Raven's best scene of the whole season. Like this feels like she's back. I mean, to be fair, it's not hard. That's a very it was a low bar. Um, but I think she's had a multiple good season scenes in this episode, but I think this one was my favorite Raven's um, scene and I've really missed her. Like this is who I've been missing and who I've been so like why I've been so hard on her is because this is the kind of character. This is the Raven that I know and love and she's been gone for a really long time. Yeah. Um, I wonder first off how much of that has to do with, uh, Zeke dying or, sorry, not Zeke. Shaw. <laughs> I will never not call him Zeke. With Shaw dying and, like, how maybe her grief carrying through has, like, really colored the character that she was written as for the first half of the season, even though in most of the scenes she was in, she wasn't, like, actively grieving him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think if that's true and it was about her grief, then I needed them to demonstrate that a little yeah. clearer. I don't disagree with you there. Um, I'm trying not to be annoyed that you know they they wrote Raven in my opinion so terribly this season until they needed her for some tech advice you know sure and then like as soon as that happens she's like back to the old Raven yeah and it makes me wonder like do you just not know how to write Raven otherwise like I don't believe that's true because I've seen you can write her otherwise yeah I think they just didn't know what to do with her until now and it was like they finally figured out where she fit 
in this sort of configuration and they were like okay I, I, I'm clued in now I've keyed into like where, what we're supposed to be doing with her and they were just sort of treading water until now it just felt like they shelved her until they needed her you I know agree I mean? completely agree um, I'm just so relieved to have her back yeah. that I'm I'm happy to accept it and yeah. like I but I understand that complaint and I agree with you um I'm wondering too if the shade had a code can be deleted why do you think it's never been done before was it just because they didn't understand computers or yeah I think it's because Raven just thought about it right now I mean it seems pretty straightforward like you guys have a hard drive you've got like a, or not a hard drive well, I just but don't a, uh, think chip? that they ever fuck with the flame I think the flame is sacred to them and it is what it is well, and they don't touch it there was that whole separating thing they were gonna do earlier this season well that was like a ritual right but like it was a ritual in their minds but it, it I'm assuming would have been something with the code I don't know I mean probably I, I, like, that sounds right that sounds right but I'm not sure like their religion and their like you know the reliquary to, to use a word of the flame yeah is technology like yeah. you can't affect it any other way you can't affect it by praying you no, know no you're right you're so, right that's totally like, true. Like, shouldn't Becca's notebook have specific notes on how to, like, deal Code. with things? Yeah, I'm not sure. Because, like, they need Becca's notebook. Raven asks for it. But I don't think that the notebook itself explains how to delete things. Mm. I think that Raven is probably going to use her notes on coding and yeah. extrapolate how to delete stuff okay. from it. Because Raven's a genius. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, indisputable. But then I kind of want to know what that um, separate – was it was it a separation thing? What did they call it earlier? I don't the, remember. The yeah, it was the ceremony. This, yeah, it was like the doing, separation ceremony. Like what that was supposed to do, you know? Right. And why they can't just do that? I'm not sure. Well, I, mean, I think it's I like, mean, like if we can delete Shayhada, let's delete Shayhada. Well, but I think they were saying, um, you know, there's like a very small window of time where they can do the separation ceremony oh. because uh, they're like once he like sort of corrupts. Once he takes hold and, like, corrupts Maddie's mind, like, yeah. he's too, like, and that's why Matt, Abby is saying, like, you're not going to kill her. And they're saying, well, why can't you just take it out of her head? And she's like, we can't take it out of her, well, because of the passcode is one thing. But I think the other reason is because once he's corrupted Maddie to this degree, they cannot safely extract him. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Raven needs to go in and fuck with the code. It was nice to me that, that they brought back the fact that Maddie changed the passcode. Yeah. But... On the other hand, now that she's commander, she should probably let someone know what the passcode is because if she dies, they're not going to be able to get it back out. <laughs> yeah, know? I agree. That seems dumb. But like, Maddie, I feel like at some point between like the end of last season and like her being possessed by the devil, <laughs> uh, she would have been like, oh, yeah, this is the passcode now, like just in case. <laughs> I think that would have been very mature, but she's 12. Well, yeah, but Gaia isn't. Gaia yeah, but I think she's not listening to Gaia like and hasn't been even before the shade had a shit happened like well, she I think she's rebelling in like a childish way. But I think especially earlier in the season, she was much more capable of like listening to Gaia and trying to follow what Gaia was telling her than she is now you know I don't know I agree with you but again I don't this Maddie stuff is really irritating to me I'm really not sure too if Gaia would actually kill Maddie I like have a hard time seeing that um yeah I don't think she would actually kill her I don't um I was gonna talk a little bit about how I felt like this scene is a really good example of how the writers 
can show that everybody has their own perspective and but also can still be right like there's no wrong there's no wrong way Mm -hmm. to think you know I think between Jackson and Abby and Gaia they all three of them have different priorities that conflict with each other but the show is not enforcing which one of their opinions is right or wrong and they leave it open for the viewer to decide who who has like you know who's the who's the right person in this situation what are you like what specific thing are you so like Jackson so they're all talking about Maddie right their Gaia is like <laughs> Jackson or not Jackson Miller Miller's like what are we gonna do when she um gets a handle of the sleep- that was actually Jackson I think oh it was Jack yeah, I was, was right Jackson. okay yeah what are we what are we gonna do when she gets hold of these sleeping people he's like really concerned about like the threat of Maddie being deployed mm-hmm. and Abby is main priority is keeping Maddie alive because it's her grandchild a little too late Abby and too little too late and Gaia <laughs> you know I think her main priority is of course she cares about Maddie but you know this is her commander and she is the flame keeper so they're all coming at this and very different from very different places with very different priorities Jackson is thinking of them as a people as a whole Gaia is thinking about this in religious terms as her leader and Abby is thinking about this in the personal as her granddaughter and neither none of them are wrong um but they all have like very conflicting perspectives on what's going on here and I really appreciate when the show does stuff like this because I think this is really hard to do this is hard this is complex writing um but they do it very well and that's why the show is so great so I just wanted to call it out um you know what I want to call out what the fact that Shadehedda is channeling Grima Wormtongue hardcore. Oh, yeah. From Lord of the Rings, if anyone isn't as much of a nerd as we are. Yeah. Um, there were, like, some scenes where I'm like, oh, that is, like, a legit shot from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> like, he's, like, leaning yeah. over her. He's, like, his mouth Whispering is, like, in her right ear. next to her ear. It's, like, so – it's from the Two Towers. Yeah. Like, I can visualize it in my mind. So, again, like, we know the writers are huge fans of Lord of the Rings. This is an obvious reference. It's an homage. And it works. Do we still think that Dioza knows Shadehead? Because at this point, I'm kind of like, I think Shadehead is a wash. I think Shadehead is just some rando. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I, I really did think that scene the first couple of episodes this season... It was, no, but I really thought that Dioza knew him. I know when Maddie was describing I'm him. I'm not laughing at that because it felt tr- it that felt real. Like that seemed very very likely. I'm just laughing because it reminded me <laughs> how every single season you you try and bring in Bill Cadigan, and every season you're disappointed. And I'm sorry. I mean, yes, I wasn't even talking about Cadigan. At I, this was. Point. <laughs> I was. I was. You're just going to dig the knife in a little deeper? It's sorry, fine. I'm sorry. No, I just, I thought it would have been cool if we could have made that connection between, like, the old world with Dioza well, and I, the, like, new I mean, world of the Grounders, Jury's you know? still out. Like, I think Dioza will come back by the end of the season. Yeah, but I don't think, I think Dioza won't come back until after Shadehead has been deleted. So That's I, probably true. I, I just, like, I guess I thought this was going to have more of a connection than it did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I think Shade had us just some dude. I think this is like a classic example of like the viewers like imbuing them with like a lot more, you know, um, a lot more like foresight than than they actually do yeah. as writers. Yeah, I think Shade had just is like this 
douchebag like bro nazi dude who you know yeah, had a lot of white male privilege and... really does feel like a white supremacist yeah. yeah yeah and i mean that in the most offensive way <laughs> is there any way to not mean that offensively right now i think a lot That's of people true. are very confused about why white supremacy is a bad thing so i'm just gonna state here we are anti-nazi on this yeah. show sad that we have i have to state it <laughs> where we have to say that <laughs> Um, and I, I know, I know this won't happen. Like I know, but I really want Lexa to come into the flame and like kick Shadehead's ass for messing with Clark's kid. That would be so delightful. It would be delightful. I would love that. <laughs> God damn. Now I want that so bad. <laughs> it's never going to, Alicia is never coming back to this show. <laughs> She's never coming back. We just have to accept it. <laughs> no, but I, but I, even if it was said, oh, not yeah. shown for Maddie to be like, Lexa came in and kicked ahead. I would still accept Lexa that. Lexa is pissed right now. She's real fucking pissed. <laughs> oh, boy. Question. Moving on from the whole, yeah. all of it. Yeah. Do we think Murphy would give himself up willingly, or is this just the result of everyone else's sort of, like, pressuring him and decision against his will? That's an excellent question. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly like and you know that's kind of the person Murphy is I'm never quite sure right. what he's going to do you know yeah he's like you know what you hope he does but like he doesn't always live up to those hopes <laughs> sure yeah I think that's fair I'm having a hard time I'd answering like to this think, for myself I'd like to think after what Raven said to him this episode that maybe that would have like pushed him to volunteer maybe um but again we'll never know what would have happened because that it didn't happen but yeah, yeah. But I, I cannot say for sure yeah so. all right well we'll just have to leave it at that oh but before we leave it at that I just want to say that Maddie is like a creepy child from a horror movie when she's like bye Sarah and it's just like she's gone she's gone she's gone but also props to this actor oh my god she's so she creepy. is so great Lola's doing such a good job yeah. because she's so sweet and charming and wonderful like I know that she can be so endearing and for her to take on this sort of new tone I mean like it's great acting she's doing a great job yep she's it's not Lola just Clark who's who's you know doing acting like a completely different human being so props are props are due yeah. so sky crew are all tied to stakes it's your favorite scene my favorite scene first off actually before we get into this I really really thought that the scene in the trailer where Murphy was like tied to a stake I thought that was like what he saw in hell so you could just knock me over with a feather that they were literally going to burn people you know in this season <laughs> I mean that's just funny <laughs> um but here we are we have come to this scene I feel like it's been six years this show does horrible things, and yet we're still surprised when it goes there. But this is, like, the worst. I for disagree. Me. For you. For me, this is, I don't, I just, yeah. like. I mean, like, this is, like, if they dumped them in the water and they had, like, in shark-infested waters. Like, yes. that would be the worst thing for me. Eel I understand. infested waters. No, shark-infested waters. <laughs> it's only sharks. That was, sorry, that was a Princess Bride reference. <laughs> Anyone here not seen Princess Bride, rectify that yeah, immediately. Immediately. 
Um, but okay, let's just get this over We're with. We're going to power through. Skyker is all tied to stakes, and Russell speaks to the rest of Sanctum, saying they must do this to end Skyker's disease of violence. Ooh. Echo sights Russell with her bow, but before she can kill him, Riker knocks her out, not wanting her to murder his family. Before Russell can kill him, them, however, Murphy realizes that they can still make Nightblood using bone marrow, so Russell has to let them go free. But not Ty, who burns for killing Simone. Yeah, okay, so this scene reads like something out of a medieval mob scene, and again, it's like the Salem Witch Trials and all of the other sort of zealot tree moments of history. Like, this is this is crazy. This is insane. Can someone just tell Russell that he sounds like a fool? <laughs> you look ridiculous. You should sue. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Princess Diaries reference. For, in case anyone was also... Go watch that immediately if you haven't seen it. (laughs) But, like, his whole, like, I had a dream speech. Like, come on, man. And also the way he's holding the microphone. He's, like, almost about to swallow it. Like, he's, like, gripping it so tightly. He's, like, pushing it right up to his face. Like, this is a guy who is lost it. Like, he is gone. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he he does look ridiculous. And, you know, I'm not going to dwell on this too much more, but I think my, like, closing thoughts on Riker this episode is he had the chance to, like, really be a complex character, but he ended up just being a little too wishy-washy about it for my tastes. So I would like to officially state that I am removing Raven from the ship, on my side at least. Same. He does not deserve Raven, and I am even saying that with me not being happy with Raven this season. <laughs> same, same. I mean, I thought they could make this journey yeah, together. together, but she just left him in the dust. Yeah, yeah. He is way behind. Uh, he's He's got a lot of makeup for. I really thought the show was like going for a romance with them. It seemed very clear. We had so many ships at the beginning of the season, yeah. and now we have one. <laughs> I mean, we are left with the one that's it's the always the same there. one. <laughs> the same ship, but it will never sail. <laughs> oh God! Um, also wanted to call out Amore for being the bravest badass bitch ever. She is so amazing. She risks even more pain and torture um, by shouting out the truth to the mob about you know how they are worshiping false gods and all of this other stuff. It was a very Joan of Arc moment for her. Loved it. Yeah, I love you, Amori. And I also feel like Amori deserves her own solo arc. You know, I think Echo's gotten a little bit the last two seasons, but I I think Amori, I'm really wanting to see more of outside of Murphy. I agree. Outside of her relationship with Murphy. I agree. 100%. And I was very, very proud of you. So proud of you, Amori. Yeah, that was really brave. I was was brave. I was just glowing with pride um and murphy you know he's still a cockroach but at least this time it benefits everyone yeah sure he's coming in hot saving the day mostly himself but also everyone else but like seriously though thank god they brought up the bone marrow thing because i mean we talked about it like last episode or two episodes ago or whenever it happened and i am still a little bit baffled by the fact that it took this long for them to like get back here because Abby has never actually made Nightblood in space with, like, zero G, you know? The only way she's ever actually done it is by using bone marrow. Yeah. So it's, like, the, the wh- why she would first go to this other way of doing things that she's never done before and just bypass the way that she's already made it work in the past 
it doesn't make any sense to me. This is very clearly the writers showing their hands, you know? Yeah, the seams are coming apart there. Yeah, but whatever. At least they brought it up in the end, so. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. And I like that they addressed it. There is an actual reason why they didn't do the bone marrow in the first place. It's because Abby has the formula. Yeah, but I, okay. That's still, I, will, I will let that go. It still doesn't explain why Abby didn't just be like, we should do it with bone marrow. And they're like, we've done it before. And she's like, but I have the formula. They could have just done that in the first place. But no, they had to go to space and wake up Kane and then kill Kane and do all this yeah. other bullshit, which was stupid. Yep. Um, so this is the kind of quick thinking and like action oriented Raven that I've been missing. I keep talking about this, but just because I missed her so badly and I loved her in this episode, you know, this is the kind of person who like makes up her own plan and then hides it inside the enemies. You know, like you can see the wheels turning in her head and she's like, no, Abby, it's fine if they take the bone marrow out of Maddie. Don't worry because she's already formulating her own plan to save Maddie. Yeah. And she's using the enemy's plan against them. She's like, yeah, Russell, I think we're going to need a computer. Yeah. <laughs> definitely going to need a computer. For that, for that bone marrow. And also going to need Becca's notebook. Yeah. That totally has something to do with the tr- tr- trans- bone marrow transplant. Absolutely. And like Russell is too far gone and desperate to notice. Well, also he like doesn't know. Well, he doesn't know, but I think a a more, a more, a less desperate Russell would at least question it slightly because a lot of those things make no sense, but he's just like, sure, sure. I'll get you whatever you need. Yeah. Um, if the primes find out how to make nightblood, like if they actually, you know, do go through with showing the primes that, which I'm not sure they will. Um, do you think Russell will spare them? Or do you think at this point it's kind of like they're buying themselves time, but they're not buying themselves free, you know? Well, I actually think he will spare them. I feel like he got out most of his rage with Ty. With Ty. And I think after that, and if he has a solution to bring back his family, I think he will settle down again. Yeah. I think. Okay. What do you think? I you don't know. think probably I agree with you. If his family can come back, I think he would chill the fuck out, you yeah. know? But uh, I, I don't know. At this Russell's point, you don't like, know. He's like a wild card right now, so. Yeah, he is. And speaking of, like, happy evening for everybody but our new friend, Ty. R.I.P., dude. We knew this was coming. So sorry, pal. You, you brought this on yourself, yeah. pal. I mean, I getcha. I getcha. But, like, be a little more subtle next time. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pure martyrdom. Like, I don't think he wanted to live anymore. I, this no, was, that this is was, true. I think he wanted to join his family, and he didn't really. I mean, I don't think he wanted to burn alive, but I don't think he wanted to live anymore. I think that you could have. Never mind. It's fine. It's fine. Maybe you should have killed Russell instead, because Russell seems to be, like, the, the linchpin, you know? I don't know. He's the one holding them together. Simone was the one who was like, let's burn them all. Yeah, so. but I don't think I don't think Simone could keep them together in the same way that Russell can, you know? That's true. I guess Simone was just closer. Yeah. And also slightly more evil. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, she's a, I mean, just like as far as, like, physical yeah, she's power dynamics. She's, sm- she's smaller. And the scariest. And scarier. Yeah, for sure scarier. <laughs> let's take out the scariest monster first. <laughs> Now we're to the last scene. We're here. We made it. This is a big one. Mm-hmm. In Gabriel's tent, Josephine tries to appeal to him not to kill her. But although Gabriel still loves her, he knows they've had their time together and their time is now over. 
He kills Clark so that Josephine's consciousness will be backed up and then removes the mind drive, but Clark doesn't wake up when he tries to restart her heart. Bellamy refuses to accept Clark dying, however, and performs CPR on her. In Clark's mind, we see that Josephine didn't back up to the mind drive. She transferred her consciousness to Clark's neural net so she could keep Clark's body. But when Clark hears Bellamy calling for her, she kills Josephine and wakes up in her own body again. Finally. Finally. Oh my god, this scene. It was so intense. I am I okay? I don't know. I'm still not okay. I've watched I, the scene many times. I've like taken now two weeks to process it. I have as well. Um and I'm still I'm still processing. I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time because this is what this show does. It like shows you all this. It's like we said last episode. It shows you all the signs. You're on the road to a destination. And then they veer left. And you think you're going in a direction, a romantic direction. And then they're like, but they're platonic soulmates. So I am very tired of being jerks around. I ship them. They V, 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 V hard. And I, I was crying a lot, <laughs> mostly for myself. And just the torture of watching this show <laughs> fuck with me. Bell Arc, to me, is like fairy food. You know, it, like, looks amazing and you want it so badly, but you're not allowed to eat it. You just have to look at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's intangible and I hate it. I love it, but I hate I, I would really like to stay in fairyland forever with Bellark, so I think we should start eating some fairy food. I'm just saying that, like, I don't know how much more. I'm not, not I'm going to stop watching this show, but I don't know how much more my heart can take. I say this every episode. <laughs> you guys don't hear it, but I literally end every episode of The 100 looking at Sarah and being like, I can't take it anymore. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not, I'm going to have a breakdown. My, I will, I will lose my mind if I don't get this. Yeah. I'm going to lose my shit. Um, which is all to say that this was a super intense scene with as much romantic coding as you can get without any actual kissing involved. I mean, it was like more passionate than kissing. It was, you know? it was also sexier than kissing. Like, this was like the sexiest, hottest scene in the hundred and like most passionate scene. I wouldn't even call this sexy. It was like... <sighs> devastating it was like the most passionate scene i've seen well, from the show i guess sexy isn't the right word but like there was a lot of sexual tension yeah and i i don't i don't know i i wouldn't even say that at this point it was like beyond sexual tension there is like sexuality doesn't even play a role in this scene this was like pure like their soulmate romantically energy. in love big soulmate energy Whew, big soulmate energy and um, not in a platonic way <laughs> We are yelling a lot. I don't care. Um, I'm so pissed. <laughs> before we get into this, I really wanted to call out some of the humor of the scene, which was Bellamy and also Octavia not being here for Josephine and, oh my uh, God. and Gabriel as a couple. The eye rolls. So many eye yeah. rolling. And like, he like had to look away. He's like, both, I can't look at this. Both him and Octavia turned away and like rolled their eyes at the exact same time. Yep. This big sibling energy Siblings, there. Blake, <laughs> not here for this shit. Um, okay, so let's like actually talk about what happens in this scene. Okay. Um, or I'll try to at least. <laughs> um, so we see Josephine 
in an attempt to sway Gabriel to her side, she she starts to quote Hamlet to him, and she, you know, Hamlet being the most romantic of Shakespeare's plays. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> she says, "Yay, there's the rub for in that sleep of death, what dreams may come." And I think that this is yet again another reference to a memento mori, which is, as we said before, a preoccupation with death, which is the title of an episode this season, and also sort of like this like fascination with mortality and immortality this season and it's also just an interesting moment for both Gabriel and Josephine to reflect on their own mortality and their lifespans together um I thought that was a really interesting quote I don't know what it's doing here but I like it I think it just kind of goes to show that Josephine and Gabriel are both very smart um, maybe that's kind of how they connected was, you know, really intellectually. Yeah, I um, think that's true. That's a good point. they also came from a time where you would read Shakespeare in classes. I guess I don't, maybe, maybe Sky Crew also did that. I don't Doubtful. know. But, but I think it's just kind of bringing back that, uh, fascination with like old texts this season that we've gotten from like the Crucible and didn't Gabriel quote something else? The Old Man in the Sea. Oh, no, that no, was just that the title was, episode. Yeah. yeah. No, Gabriel quoted something when they went to the anomaly. It was Paradise Lost. Right. So, like, we've just had a lot of different, like, yeah, old I, text brought I up mean, I mean, I love a good literary illusion. I know you do. I real do. <laughs> um, so I'm V into this. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I like how you've just decided to not say the word very anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. That's like I'm a thing. I'm V, 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 V into this. <laughs> I didn't want to say very, 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 because that's as many varies as I felt. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but when Gabriel says we had our time to Josephine, I like dead ass thought for a second he was about to say, and now it's theirs. <laughs> I thought that so much that I thought I heard him say that. <laughs> I thought he said it. And then after rewatching it several times, I was like, oh, I think I just imagined that. Yeah. That was not there. That was definitely implied. Implied. Though. There was a dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> like a visible one. Yeah. Like in comic books, there was like a little thing, dot, 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 like in white, black and white letters. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I guess a little practical question here. Uh, apparently, Gabriel had tried to convince Josephine to take out their mind drives and just like grow old as regular people. Yeah. Did we know that was possible for Primes to live without mind drives? Like, do we believe that? Because I'm not sure that I do. I have no way. Again, we're learning all kinds of new shit about the mind drives this episode. I did not think that was possible. I thought that their body was just like a receptacle of the mind drive. Yeah, I did too. But apparently the way it works, according to this, is that they actually like download their consciousness onto the brain. They like map it onto the brain. And the mind drive really is just there as a backup tool. Um, Which is interesting. Did Mm -hmm. not know that. Did not know that. Did not. Like I thought once you took the mind drive out, it would just be like a body, you know? Right. But I guess that is the, the case. So that I'm assuming is going to come into play at some point. Mm. I don't know. I, I mean, like, it seems like a weird thing to bring up. Maybe maybe they just thought we knew what they had intended with the mind drives. Well, so. I guess my question then is, like, if Gabriel doesn't want to be reincarnated again, why doesn't he have someone just take out the well, mind he, drive he, and stomp it? He did ask. Remember, he said that he taught his, you know, surrogate son how to do that because he wanted him to, like, remove it. But then when his son realized what he wanted from him he like refused because he didn't want to be like so are you saying that there's just like nobody who knows how to remove it now 
because he could still have that happen. He could still retain his consciousness in Ga- in Xavier's body. Yeah, but there's no one who knows how to remove it now. Because apparently, like he like that's why they had to go to Gabriel in the first place because he's trained to remove it. All the primes are trained, and I don't think anyone else is. Okay, that makes sense. Um, do we think after what Josie's seen of Clark and like Clark's cold do better thing, which we know Josie knows about, I'm calling her Josie now because Josephine's a really long name. Sure. Um, do we believe that Josephine really thinks Clark would kill everyone in Sanctum if she lets Clark have her body back? Or was that just kind of like the excuse she was using because she wanted to keep Clark's body? It felt like an excuse, a flimsy one. Yeah. But I, I kind of wonder if it was an excuse to Clark or an excuse to herself. You I know? think it was an excuse to Josephine. Yeah. Because I do. She, I think she thinks they're friends. Yeah. I mean, I think Josephine has liked, come to like Clark and respect Clark. I think she definitely respects her. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think it was an excuse. She okay. was lying to herself. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Bellamy's transformation in this scene because it's truly remarkable. I mean, I think you actually pointed that out earlier in this season how Bellamy and Clark's like love for each other is so big that they they can't actually talk about it in like the personal mm-hmm. terms. They always couch it in I care about it, all of them. all in a group yeah. way. But this is the first time that we've ever seen him evolve from talking about his feelings for Clark in a group kind of setting into actually declaring that he himself needs her Mm -hmm. um and it finally acknowledges it as like a personal feeling and an individual feeling um that he is feeling for himself and that is a big step well I definitely love him hearing him say that he needs her especially because in episode two of this season when he was under the effects of the red sun he was saying like I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, Clark, but I don't need you anymore, which was the biggest lie he's ever told. Seriously. Um, but also just the fact that Clark has specifically told him many times throughout the seasons that she needs him. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not even meaning that in a romantic way, but, like, I think they just work better together. Yeah. And, like, they make each other better. And so Clark has been able to, like, express that, but Bellamy has never really expressed that back. And so it was just nice to kind of get that feedback and then to also get everything else he was saying which is like I can't lose you I'm not letting you go you are mine and you are staying (laughs) fight for me I need you all these things it was so intense yeah but also I felt like a big step forward in his evolution oh yeah in the way that he and the way that he can admit the way he feels about her to himself yeah which he's never been able to do yeah and I love you, Bellamy. I love you so much. And I love this scene so much. But your CPR skills are a little lacking. You just performed CPR on Clark's stomach. And you were, like, beating her stomach. You're literally the only person who noticed that. No, I'm literally not at all. So many people commented on it online. I mean, I noticed it when it was happening. But, like, I was not alone. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to where he was performing the CPR. Like, I wasn't. I was paying attention to the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I know the practical reason is that Bob was probably afraid to give CPR where you're supposed to give CPR because it would look like he was, like, feeling Clark up, you know? Um, And I'm, like, fine. Like, I'm not really criticizing. I don't really care. But it was really funny for me watching it. I was just like, that is very wrong. Would never have noticed. (laughs) Never in a million years. Um, And then, you know, Clark comes back and they hug and Octavia is the one who I feel is always around to really see Bellark. Yeah. To, like, see what they are. And I, I, I love the idea that Octavia 
lost her one love, but she's able to see her brother, like, save his greatest love. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Octavia is so soft in this scene. She's so sensitive and gentle, you know, when it looks like Clark's lost and she's just so, so sweet and tender with Bellamy about it. And I am here for it. Like, oh, my God, this is beautiful i just i love everything about octavia in this episode well now i know what marie meant when she when she gave that interview earlier this season and she was like the octavia you see in episode one and the octavia you see in episode 13 are like completely different people yeah and i'm already seeing that yes yes absolutely um side note i i full-on thought that clark was going to wake up while he while bellamy was gonna give was giving her mouth to mouth and i that thought alone like sent me into shock but then that didn't happen. Well, it, she kind of did. I but mean, I mean, like, I thought she was going to wake up while their mouths were And they were, were going like, to, open their eyes and, like, and look they were at like, each other. Like, and we should call out, like, what kind of fairy tale bullshit is this? Yeah. Where she literally gets true love's first kiss yeah. from her Prince Charming. And it comes back from the dead. <laughs> he, like, delivers true love's kiss. Yeah. Is basically Snow White. It's or Sleeping Beauty. Or Enchanted. Or any of them. Well, those I, are based on Snow White. But I'm just saying, like what if they this is romantic there's no other way to interpret this this is like classic romantic tropes being deployed here (laughs) i don't know i i don't know what they're doing this season with bellark i mean i personally feel like next season will probably be the last season and so in my mind this is them setting up romantic bellark and like trying to like ease us into it if you we haven't been eased into it enough in the last six years but the slowest of all fucking slowest, slowest burns. of all slow burns um but i you know who knows honestly like i've just never seen a pairing like this on tv um someone that has like this kind of intensity um without even you know crossing the line over to like straight romance like i i don't i don't know and maybe it's kudos to the writer for being able to hold it here because honestly like i don't know how that's even possible i don't either <laughs> yeah so i guess what i really i mean i love a lot of stuff about this scene but what i really really take to heart from this is that bellamy taking the deal and and josephine showing clark that is what initially made clark decide to like give up and not fight back mm-hmm. and then hear bellamy's words and hearing bellamy like fight for her and like try to make her fight back herself is what eventually like makes Clark pick up the axe and kill Josephine and like take her life back absolutely it's a total reversal and I love it yeah I love it um also another side note eventually you know Clark does wake up and they like stare into each other's eyes and I legit thought they were going to kiss again and went into cardiac arrest all over again and alas neither of those things happened but at least hey guys they hugged I didn't even need them to kiss there although I can see what you mean like the it like, was look so Clark's, close. The look in Clark's eye, like they looked at each other so intensely, it was more than a kiss. It's like I, it was like fe- I was feeling like secondhand embarrassment, like I was looking at something private. Yeah. Which, to be fair, I was because these guys are married in yeah. real life. Like well, that's probably the way they look at each they other. They weren't married yet. No, this is probably when they decided yeah. that they should probably get together because they're not that different from their characters. Like they're <laughs> like, oh wow, this feels like not acting. Um. Yeah. Speaking of which, did the writers just read a ton of fan fiction before writing this scene? I have never. 
ever seen such blatant fan fiction in my life. They literally deploy the head in the heart motif, and it was so over the top. I'm not complaining, but it was absurd. Yeah, it was a little cheesy, but I'm also not complaining. Um, and it's not just this scene. It's this whole freaking season is Bell Arc fan fiction. Yeah, it is. It's like I'm living in an almost perfect universe of this show. If only they would t- take it to the final step. If only they would close that like two inch difference between their mouths and just kiss. Just This is a sign that McCabe and a gesture McCabe and I do all the time when we're watching something where we take our two index fingers and put touch them back and forth and make a little kissing sound. Although like our kissing sound is I don't know where I don't know where this came from. Um wow, okay. Uh let's wrap this scene up. So Heart in the head, a little over the top, but whatever. Who cares? I mean, the, the 100 is really leaning into the cheese when it comes to Bellark this season, so, like, can't complain. Um, but I did find it either odd or interesting, I'm not sure which, that Clark says the head and the heart at the end here instead of the heart and the head, which is the order they've said it in every other time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, switching it up and saying the head and the heart was, like, a little bit jarring to me. It's a little jarring, but I think it's, like, very telling because when Bellamy says it, the heart and the head, he's saying, like, Bellamy and Clark. And when Clark says it, she's saying the head and the heart, which is Clark and Bellamy. True. But, like, Clark has before said the heart and the head. Yeah. Like, that is the way that it's been said. (laughs) Sure, sure. I just think it's cute because she's, like, referencing herself first and then Bellamy, and he had just done it the opposite. So you don't think that it's really Josephine in there? (laughs) <laughs> no I don't think that it's Josephine I don't think so either <laughs> there, there, no there's no way I, I don't why, know. why would you do that I don't know you've got always wonder at body snatching that things. was mean I'm sorry um but honestly though and I, I like I'm saying this I always try to find non-romantic explanations for things I've said this many times to you before but this is honestly the most romantic scene I have ever seen on the show like Easily, and that includes characters full on having sex. Sure, it's bullshit. So it's bullshit. I'm calling bullshit. Well, talk to the writers. I have many times <laughs> tweeted them. <laughs> um. So one last question before we end this: Do we think Josephine is gone forever? Is this like the end of Josephine? I feel like you should never say never I, I I have a hard time thinking that like she's gone from this season she seems like the ma- main antagonist so but I don't I, but again like I don't know where she would go I don't know where she would be I think she's gone okay I, I mean I'm perfectly happy with her being gone I think this was like a good farewell I mean would I want her to be gone I mean I like her I find her very funny and yeah you know, evil, but, like, enjoyable to watch. Yeah, she's so, very entertaining. I think the rest of the season, like, the villain's going to be Russell going insane because he lost his family. Yeah. Um, and, again, you know, being a little torch-happy, burning some people. Um, we're going to have the rebellion, I think, coming up between the Knolls and the Primes. And our Sky crew has to figure out where the hell they go from here. If they don't die, you know, being burnt at the stake, like, what do they do? Do they stay in Sanctum? Do they build their own compound? Like, what? Where do they do? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think those are all very true. So these are all questions that have yet to be answered and probably will be in the upcoming three episodes. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some discussion points. 
Um, let's talk about the title. Title meanings. Uh, title is Matryoshka, which is a Russian nesting doll, if you don't know. Matryoshka. Matryoshka. I'm getting my Russian heritage um, <laughs> worked out here. Which I believe, you know, is a very clear metaphor for Clark and Josephine battling for control over their shared brain. And just when you thought it was over, up, oh, Josie pops back up. There's another layer of Josephine hitting un- hidden underneath there. Curse that neural mesh. Drats. And then also, again, the flame and the other commanders being locked away inside Maddie's brain. There are layers of, of consciousnesses trapped inside of each other. Consciousness. Consciousnesses. Mm, no. Um, yeah. So love this title. Very clever. Um, sure. Let's talk about our favorite lines. Okay. What's yours? Um, my favorite line was Bellamy saying, I need you just for the reasons I already stated that he's never said that before, even though Clark has said it multiple times. So it was just, it was nice to get that back, you know? Yeah, I loved it. It's like, I can't even go there. <laughs> Let's just not. Um, uh, what about you? My favorite line, it was really hard, but my favorite line is if you want to avoid hell, the answer is not immortality. It's morality, obviously said by Raven. And I already went into why this was so beautiful, but I really love this new direction for raven i love the return of the raven that i know and love with the added bonus of her being a little wiser and a little um a little um less sanctimonious less sanctimonious exactly so i'm i'm really into it what was our favorite scene (laughs) i mean come on guys (laughs) there's only the one scene and it's the last one and that's our favorite yeah i mean there's, There's really nothing else scene to say. And this scene is, you know, God. The scene is life. Well, that was the episode. Yeah. The next episode is 611 Ashes to Ashes. They all fall down. Or do they? Or do they? <laughs> In this episode, Bellamy and Octavia must work together to save their friends. And Echo is forced to face her past. And this is the episode that Bob Morley directed. So it's going to be fun. Yep. Can't wait to talk about it. Cannot wait. Probably hear so another wonderful. podcast from us in a couple of days because we are behind. So <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna, we're going to pop this next one out really fast, yeah. we promise. Um, and that is our episode. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at skycast. You can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that's our show. Until next time, which will be very soon, we promise, may we meet again. May we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.